I've killed for you. Who else can say that? You think you'd be happy with a nice Midwestern girl? No way, baby. I'm it. Look, you're delusional. I mean, you're insane. Why would you even want this? Yes, I loved you, and then all we did was resent each other and try to control each other and cause each other pain. That's marriage. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 108, Gone Girl. Yes, that's right. A big pick for us. A movie we, I believe, each saw multiple times in theaters. Yeah, this is uh, kind of a lightning rod of a movie. Oh, right. And I think our shared experience of the movie was enjoying it in a way that i don't think either of us anticipated originally (laughs) yeah i didn't know what to expect yeah me neither i mean i just thought it was like the trailers were like this weird cryptic mystery thing but i never would have thought the amount of laughs that are in it you know right yeah certainly a, a dark humor to it it speaks to the trust that you put into directors that you become fans of you know oh yeah Neither of us read this book. We knew, I guess we kind of knew it was a popular book. Right. Yeah, I knew it was a book. Ben Affleck was in it. The rest of the cast, which we'll get to, was a little strange. Oh, yeah. And we're just like, you know, David Fincher, we're on board. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I think it had a good marketing campaign because I just remember like these, the weird cryptic trailers of random shots of a house with police tape around it and like missing people signs. I don't know. I was like, all right, I'm in on this. Yeah, it's strange. I don't really remember anything leading up to it as far as the promo stuff, but I don't know. My memory's gotten a lot worse, I'm sure. Then there were some trailers where it would be like voiceover, like Amy talking about like being afraid for her life or whatever, like those snapshots from her diary. Yeah. For whatever reason, I don't think that I really had any clue, even remotely what it was going to be like, but... You know, it you didn't really matter. Jump into it. Yeah, once you get in, you really have no idea where it's headed. So we are right in the middle of September. This is going to be a kind of a cool little week for us here. Usually we don't spoil too much, but this is kind of the kickoff of a little Gillian Flynn week that we're putting together. So yeah. All I'm going to say is stay tuned for later this week. There might be a give us a second in your future. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would say... Uh, her work has taken the podcast over recently. Yeah, it was definitely a big summer for Gillian Flynn fans. Other than that, as always, follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Subscribe to our show on iTunes. And, you know, give us a rating and review on there if yeah, you can. Yeah, please, come on. <laughs> Keep spreading the word of the show. That's right. It's very exciting to see that people are downloading the show. Hopefully. Yeah, the number's doing well. Someone reached out to me and said they just plugged the show, so that's good. All right. Yeah, hopefully people are enjoying it. I have no other details, it. but... 
yeah, so this is going to be potentially a long episode, so I guess we probably. should probably jump into it here. Yeah, there's, I mean, it's a long movie. It's a long and movie. And there's a lot of details. there's a lot of stuff in it, and there's a lot to say, frankly. There you go. It's crazy. There's a lot of kind of uh, commentary on uh, society and the way that people react to things, and <laughs> yeah. I am into it. And it's weird because it's like the, a lot of this stuff obviously was like pre this past election, but I feel like you know a lot of the ways that people react to stuff. I mean, we're in it, we're in a time where it's as worse as it's ever been. Right. This movie, I mean, there's just so much. I mean, it's like I said earlier, it's a lightning rod. I mean. People have very violent reactions to it. Oh, yeah. It's a very polarizing movie. All right. I don't fully understand. I mean, I don't know. To a certain extent, I guess I understand the issues that some people may have with it. I never really feel that way about art. I always think that this is just a story. I don't really feel story. that way about anything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think some people take film and other media and and apply that to the world and that this will be used as something more than itself i always just think of it as like well this is just an entertaining story right well it's also like just because there's a male character in a movie or a female character in a movie doesn't mean that they represent the entire gender i know but i'm not really on the fence of it but i do kind of understand some problems that people may have with i get it with certain aspects of this but for me, you know, and obviously it's easy for me to say as a man but and not as a woman, but for me, I, I just kind of enjoy pieces of art as what they are. This is a story, so I just kind of enjoy it as a story. I never really apply it to anything beyond the story. Well, yeah, I think that's normal. Well, sometimes I guess I, I know. <laughs> when it's realistic fiction, meaning like it's not supernatural, it's not taking place in a different world, it's just exactly like this world, it's supposed to be this world people kind of worry about the message it's sending or what people might take from it it but just I makes me really scared it makes me really afraid and I, I that's the one i love that one but i do think that there are probably dumb people that would see that oh this movie in detail explains how a woman could lie about being raped or abducted or whatever so it plants an idea into this person's head and then makes them less likely to believe people. But, I mean, I, I just am but tired also, of I mean, catering to these dumb people. I know. Why do we all have to fucking change what we're allowed to see? Or, like, what a writers are allowed to write or a director's allowed to direct? Right. So, I mean, I guess we should start out with... Getting worked up. The woman herself, Gillian Flynn, who wrote the original source material, the novel, and then actually adapted it herself for this screenplay. And what she says, on the accusations of misogyny in her work, Flynn remains steadfast. She identifies as a feminist, and she believes that feminism allows for women to be bad characters in literature. And so there you go. I think about Close the book, the controversy, quote unquote, with three billboards from last year at come Oscar time and kind of the inability for people to accept that Sam Rockwell's character could be a racist and also potentially like seen as a heroic person in the film. And I do think it's troubling that we're kind of headed towards this place where you can't have complicated, interesting characters. Everyone has to be well, it is weird. pure or pure evil. Like, you can't, <laughs> right. like it can't yeah. be pe- like there can't be any can't gray be like, area. Conflicted good people. Yeah, and I mean even the main character herself 
Frances McDormand's character is kind of, I mean, you know, she punches children at one point. I mean, she's not really an angel. I mean, oh yeah, it's just it's supposed to be interesting. Characters are always flawed, right? Is Amy really that much worse than a Tony Soprano? You know what I mean? A character who was seemingly beloved by viewers. Right. This is a quote from Flynn. She says, The one thing that really frustrates me is the idea that women are innately good, innately nurturing. And she says, People Preach. will dismiss trampy, vampy, bitchy types, but there's still a big pushback against the idea that women can be just pragmatically evil bad and sociopaths selfish. yeah yeah in a way what she's saying is that by protecting the image of women to the point of not allowing them to be these complicated characters that would do something truly wrong and horrible is in itself this reverse sexism where we're protecting this idea of women rather than being real about it that women say, could be just as bad as men or just as uh, good she's as 100% men or whatever right. she's 100% right in her defense and also i would say you know some of these characters i can vouch they are out there <laughs> <laughs> as recently as of 2015 so this is post gone girl she said i've grown quite weary of the spunky heroines brave rape victims soul searching fashionistas that stock so many books i particularly mourn the lack of female villains good potent female villains absolutely so she's just writing a story that's entertaining and i like that her characters are fucked up and that she's pushing the boundaries in all kinds of different directions and she's not censoring herself you know she may have thought to herself what would happen if a woman was this calculating and was this cunning to yeah, come what up a with world this insane plan <laughs> You know what I mean? The, the plan oh, that know. Amy comes up with is it rivals any villain's plan from any it's genius, yeah, James Bond movie, it, or anything. right? And I mean, it, she should get away with it, really. Right. I mean, she does make some mistakes after the plan has been enacted, but as far as actually framing her husband for murder, it's completely unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it's just perfect. Right. Obviously, like the things that she does are evil at times, but it's like. I don't get done with this movie. And I'm like, good God, Amy was just this horrible supervillain. The more like the movie just makes me think, geez, the relationships between men and women and marriage <laughs> and what a horrible thing it is. Nobody comes out of this film looking good. No. I don't really think that you're supposed to think that Ben Affleck's character is some good person. If anything, he's kind of portrayed as like a little bit of an idiot. Yeah. Adult. <laughs> Who, you know, fell victim to the kind of stupid bullshit that men all across the country every day fall victim to, which is infidelity, laziness, not being a good husband, you know, just kind of being caught up in their own bullshit, you know, not listening really to what their partner is saying. His bad characteristics aren't as flashy as Amy's, but they're there. Well, one kind of is, <laughs> the infidelity one. Well, I mean, yeah, but that's something that anybody could I would say it's flashy for who's tied to the infidelity, though. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, most people, it isn't somebody that looks like Emily Ratajkowski. Right. But, yeah, I, I mean, it's still like, just Is that the girl the from the Blurred thing. Lines video? <laughs> yes, it is. Okay, so I don't really know what to call this. I thought of this as more of like an aesthetic trilogy for director David Fincher. But I guess, as you pointed out, it's really, it kind of extends even into 
like Zodiac. Yeah, I feel like although it, he this did has just do, kind of been the look for a while now. With he did him. do Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which kind of doesn't quite okay, right. have that same yeah. look. I kind of group it with the Social Network and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. It's like the score from Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Oh yeah, yeah. He's kind of carried it over into Mindhunter and House of Cards, yep. the two episodes he directed at the beginning of season one. I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like anything too complicated, but it's something that doesn't it's seem effective. like what anyone else right. is doing. Oh, yeah. The way that his stuff looks. It just looks different. Yeah. I don't know the filters he's using. And the, the original score works, certainly. Yeah. This one doesn't stand out as much as like a social network, but... No, because, I mean, it seems very reminiscent of the earlier stuff. But once this movie kind of kicks into that last wild half oh, hour yeah, yeah. where you're just like, I can't believe any of this is happening, <laughs> then, like, the dread of it builds and builds and builds. It's kind of a slow building thing over the right. course of the whole movie where it doesn't really even get too noticeable until you're almost done. <laughs> like, there's only maybe, like, a half hour left yeah. of this two-and-a-half-hour movie. It and gets to like, be quite a ride on that last, like, half hour. So, you know, obviously Fincher knows his way around a thriller. I would say that Fight Club, a film that he did 15 years earlier, is kind of like a deconstruction of masculinity. And then Gone Girl as a treacherous journey through the dark heart of an aggrieved woman. <laughs> oh, that's a, certainly a way of putting so it. So it's right. kind of like the yin and the yang. He's kind of represented in a weird way the best and worst of men and women in a sense and it maybe seems well, I crazy. feel like you kind of get both worlds in this movie true but i would say that ben affleck's character in gone girl is not really it's a little bit more flat to the same level as like the the complicated edward norton tyler character. durden yeah because i mean you know right. essentially that is just one character i mean Hopefully I'm not spoiling Fight Club for people <laughs> yeah, seriously. 15 years later. Having said everything we've said, and I think you pointed this out in a way, ultimately in this movie, is marriage just the true villain? Yeah, that's Gone what Girl? it seems like. Because it's hard to say, honestly, what is real and not real in the history of Nick and Amy in well, this especially movie. Especially in that when you're getting all this backstory... And I paid attention to this more so this time around, but the fact that like we're seeing things happen visually, but it's being narrated by Amy's diary at times, which is maybe partially fabricated. Right. And also, even if she thinks she's telling the truth, it's clearly from her perspective. Right. But if you were to believe it, despite the fact that the two of them are pretty annoying, at the very least, you're like, well, these seem like fairly normal people well yeah it's in their well early yeah in their early encounters for sure you know happy they seem aware of some of the pitfalls of marriage they're not going in with their eyes closed they know no. what they're doing and of course they can't foresee the things that will cause their problems right but well they're like we're not going to be that annoying couple but it's like guess what <laughs> everyone's headed there they're, i mean you can't be a couple and not become that annoying couple yeah, I mean, honestly, it's like people, sh when they get married, should live together for like three years and then live separately for three years and then maybe live together for three. <laughs> like, I think if you just stay in one confined area with someone, it's just <laughs> eventually you're going to hate each other. <laughs> it takes something this fucking crazy and wild to end up kind of in a weird way fixing their marriage. Yeah, it's just it is that unfortunately bizarre. Right. Someone yeah. had to die. <laughs> <laughs> Although know. a complete douche, so 
sometimes it's worth it. When I think of my wife, I always think of her head. I picture cracking her lovely skull, unspooling her brains, trying to get answers. The primal questions of any marriage. What are you thinking? How are you feeling? What have we done to each other? All right, so we meet Nick Dunn, played by Affleck. We first see him walking out of the house, right, yeah. in that morning, and it's just like, good lord, he is built here. Yeah, his, I mean, he just looks like jacked up. His stature kind of he's like busting out of that shirt. Yeah, throughout the film, depending on when they filmed it, they must have filmed this opening sequence towards the end because he is like swole as fuck. Oh yeah, because <laughs> he was preparing to play Batman. And I think that intersected a little bit with all of this. So, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's like the gun show. (laughs) And we find out it is his five-year anniversary with his wife, Amy, played by Rosamund Pike. She is of some note. Her parents were, like, writers, and they based a children's book series called Amazing Amy off of her exploits. Granted, they took what she did and made it better, but right, yeah. But essentially, she, she, she is amazing. Amy. So she like grew up in the shadow of this, but you know, did grow up like a rich kid, yes. had like a trust fund. Nick is the owner operator of a local drinking establishment just called the Bar, right? Which he kind of runs with his twin sister Margot, aka Go, played by Carrie Coon. Yeah, and at this point, I mean, I think this had to be around the time that we were watching the first season of a. Uh, Whatever it was that she the was leftovers. On. Yeah, the leftovers. Yeah. I mean, that's Because really... we did know her, right? Right? I feel like we had just... I don't know. One yeah, way or the other. I, think I feel that... like we saw her in the leftovers first and then this. Right. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad we got that yeah, please. super crucial detail <laughs> nailed down. It is for me. But yeah, that's really all I know her from, I think, is this and the leftovers. I don't really even remember her from anything else. All right. Well, she should get in some more stuff. I like her. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So almost immediately, we're kind of given the introduction of these flashbacks presented through Amy's diary, the meeting of Nick and Amy. My first thought is no one talks like this. Oh, yeah. For but sure. it is kind I mean, of that's fun the thing. to it, listen Talk to. about that annoying couple. I mean, they were the most annoying couple in their first interaction. Yeah, they're annoying in a completely different way. Just like pretentious asshole. Yeah. Like, go fuck yourself forever. Bullshit. Right. They're talking very sorkin Their banter. Yeah. Which is weird because Fincher directed The Social Network, which was written by Aaron Sorkin. And this is not. But the way that they're talking. <laughs> it's like they're making fun of a Sorkin <laughs> conversation. Yeah, they're just... It's crazy. It's so witty. It's witty to the point of being sickening. It's like no one is that witty (laughs) all the time. It's insane. The two of them together doing it. It's gross. (laughs) (laughs) But I do love this early initial flashback because it kind of captures, I think, one of those things that really is true in America, even to this day, which is that a lot of women... Do not like Ben Affleck. And well, I hear it mentioned all the time. Now, granted, he did grab that woman's breast on TRL. Oh, boy. And then, you know, I, I didn't know that. said some weird stuff in the initial well, and at Henry, this point, too, Harvey Weinstein thing. Well, that's the thing. He's kind of part of that boys club. Right. Know? Yeah. And people see him as such. And plus, his marriage with Jennifer Garner ended and 
women are and even definitely like I feel like her. even with the when you back in the day when he was like with Jennifer Lopez, I feel like he was always seemed kind of villainous. The public perception of him, right? And I think in a weird way, this movie kind of captures it because of his chin, and they do the whole thing like his villainous chin, and and it kind of just ties in with this smug personality yes. that Affleck has that can definitely rub people the wrong way. Yeah. Well, he nails this character. I'll say. This is our first time seeing this um, sugar storm that yes, it seems is. to be like Nick's move. <laughs> As we find out. Kind of, yeah. Because even when he can't go somewhere where a place is having their sugar delivered to pull Let's this just go move, somewhere he, where it's snowing. Yeah, he recreates it with snow later. We'll see. When they're first meeting each other, it's a very fairy tale world. I will say, romance. I mean, Nick has the charm. He can turn it up for sure. Right, so he takes her to this sugar delivery, which causes all this sugar to be in the air. They walk through it. They get this, like, thin sugar coating on themselves, and then he, like, touches her lips and then kisses her. Yeah, it's very, uh, like, majestic. I don't know if this is the first time they've ever kissed. That seems unlikely, but I don't know. I can't tell. I I kind of thought that this was the same night that they first met at this party or something. It's hard to tell. Yeah, you don't know. It's all kind of blurred together, because then it cuts to him, like, eating her pussy. Well, (laughs) I mean, after (laughs) that move with the sugar storm... (laughs) <laughs> Wouldn't you be like <laughs> falling over? So, <laughs> what to have Affleck eat my pussy? Absolutely. What are you saying? I yes. Don't, I don't get it. All right. So back to reality. While Nick is at the bar with Go, there's a call. The cat has wandered outside or whatever. So he goes back, and Amy has disappeared. And this kind of kicks off the main story has disappeared movie. and he walks in and this whatever something Ottoman from, yeah has over been flipped and over tables and, broken yeah glass is broken yeah it looks like a crime scene and so. he does undersell it even right away i mean obviously he's like calling the police but you mean yeah emotionally yeah he's not really i, I don't know I, I just feel like there would be a bigger level of panic like what the fuck yeah well that's a recurring theme is yeah well this is the first Nick, instance of it not handling things the way that people expect him to handle things. Yeah. He kind of undersells a lot and does well, things yeah. wrong. And he does all the speak time. to this later in the movie, so <laughs> So the cops show up and we get Detective Rhonda Boney, played by Kim Dickens. And we should just point out, is great in this movie. Yeah, I love her in this movie. Right. I wish just like Carrie Coon, I wish she was in more things. Yeah. And we get Officer Gilpin, played by Patrick Fugit from Almost Famous. Just playing an annoying dope. Well, I think he's supposed to just kind of be like, he's more representative of the generic mindset of America. Like, he just yeah. goes in the direction that the 24-hour news cycle will take him. Right. Whereas, like... So, I guess they don't have a lot of analytical thinkers in the police force here. No, he's Officer Gilpin. She's Detective right. Boney. Yes. She's definitely in charge. And she's more of a critical thinker intuitive kind of never is jumping to conclusions she's patient thinking this through gilpin was ready to be like case closed day one and i love that just a random cop is minkus from boy meets world (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a nice detail he finds that eventually he finds that uh clue envelope and he's like it was with her unmentionables (laughs) the way he says it is so creepy uh yeah i mean it's like why were you looking in there (laughs) Just like pulling things out and sniffing them. Oh no. (laughs) This would be like as good a time as any, I guess, to talk about the cast in general. So we've already talked about our appreciation for Carrie Coon and Kim Dickens, but, you know, and we've talked about Affleck. I do like 
Rosamund Pike in this, who oh, is yeah. a name that I knew and a face that I knew, but I didn't really know her who she was specifically. She was in like a James Bond. Well, movie. I knew her actually from uh, like Jack Reacher. She was in that, the Tom Cruise movie that they oh, filmed yeah. here. Right. Yeah. Uh, Which so, I did see. Yeah, so I recognized <laughs> her from that. But, I mean, I will say in this movie, she is, like, super skinny. Yeah. She looks good, though. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, that's all that's important, right. I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, when we were eagerly anticipating the next David Fincher movie, because we loved Social Network, we loved Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, it seemed like he was on a really strong run. Oh, yeah. He had set himself up with a great career to this point because, obviously, Seven and Fight Club are masterpieces. So, Gone Girl's coming up. You don't know much about it because we had not read the book, but we're like, okay, new which would Which is a great way to go into this movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, okay, Affleck is attached. Rosamund Pike is the female lead. This is looking interesting promising okay then you start seeing some of these other names and you're like tyler perry is in this huh that's interesting yeah then you're like neil patrick harris is in this huh i don't really know what i mean is this harold and kumar right then you're like oh the girl from the blurred lines video is in this yeah and you're, and you're like, like wow what the fuck is this movie way in on this <laughs> It just seemed like a bunch of random people that would never be in a David Fincher movie all got together and were like, all right, well. I get it. I know. I'm Tyler Perry's goddamn great in this movie. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to him later. I mean, he is good in it, although I do think that some people went like a little overboard with it, with how good. But oh, there hey. was a lot of praise going around out there? Well... I don't know. I mean, I just some people were like saying he was like Oscar good. And oh I'm wow, like, well, he's not really in it. Yeah, that I mean, much. Yeah, yeah. he doesn't really do that much in it. But all right, but yeah, I mean, everybody hits a home run and is perfect. And it's just like at this point, I would trust David Fincher with any cast. It's like, just throw. Oh yeah. It's like, well, who's gonna be in his next movie? Fucking Screech and Urkel. It's like okay, right? <laughs> I want to see it. Yeah. Well. I mean, we go back to Social Network. I mean, I just thought unexpectedly for me, Justin Timberlake, I thought was like so good in that. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. We haven't even mentioned Lola Kirk and Boyd Holbrook and Scoot McNary all kind of showing up and supporting roles Scoot in McNary. this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a very Trip McNeely yeah, kind really, of name. Seriously. Top to bottom, this, this ends up being an amazing cast. And it's definitely not what you would have thought going into the movie. That, oh, you're going to really think this cast is great. I mean, there was a lot of unexpected things <laughs> going into this movie. I mean, the big reveal halfway through where you're like, okay. You yeah, I think it would be interesting. Kind of, we can do some check-ins as we're going through the plot here to be like, well, what were you thinking at this point? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we get some flashbacks. Nick and Amy were both writers in New York City. Affluent, picture-perfect, charmed existence. Like I said, you know, the beginning of she this perfect fairy tale romance. Yeah. Amazing Amy, though, always hanging over Amy. At one point, I think maybe it was Nick who says that her parents plagiarized her childhood. But yeah, as you said, she's got that brownstone and the trust fund to make up for it. Oh, yeah. They have this kind of cutesy engagement that kind of... Fits their kind of annoying existence yeah it maintains the illusion that they've created for themselves i do think it's intentional how annoying they were in those first couple flashbacks i'd like say how so cutesy. Yeah. because it's it's all part of creating this image of nick and amy that they could never sustain 
And it didn't have anything to do with money or with Nick's mom getting cancer and then moving to Missouri. Like it, those right. Although all those little details do play in, I think. Right. Those factor into it ultimately. But the big thing is they created something that they couldn't sustain. It wasn't real. Right. This version of Nick and Amy that were way better than themselves. Yeah. So that's why you should just shoot for like... Mediocrity. Right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Somebody said it, finally. <laughs> Eventually, because of a turn in the economy, they are going to lose their jobs. Yeah, both of them losing their writing jobs. Well, their writing jobs were very flimsy bullshit. Things. Right. She was. She created like personality quizzes for magazines. Oh, and boy. And he, he wrote, wrote for, for like, like a men's magazine yeah, yeah. or something. Magazine writers, obviously, the first to go in the recession. Right. <laughs> Not really the most necessary people. Oh, yeah. And they live luxurious lives. Well, right. She's rich. Yeah. But she ends up returning much of the trust from her parents because they end up struggling with some debt. I guess their publisher dropped them, something like that. And there's definitely an increased tension. Oh, yeah. Well, they've gone from like everything was going to be fine. It didn't really matter if they worked to the money's mostly gone. Right. And I would say that Nick reacts poorly to that. This ends up going from a flashback to what Nick is telling Boney and Gilpin as they're yes, walking through the right. house. And he says they moved to Missouri when Nick's mom got sick and now she's dead. But the walk through the house is kind of odd. Because as you said, yeah. he's really underselling it and he doesn't. he's not acting kind of even remotely upset yeah. about any of this. And then at one point they actually see what a fleck appears of blood. to be blood and, and she's he, putting like a post-it note on it and he's just like he continues to tell the story that he's telling and then he's just like should i be worried <laughs> and this is something that kind of continues when they eventually get to the police station and boney is talking about amy potentially being type a and maybe nick is type b she's kind of trying to like needle him a little bit to see how he reacts to things that she says because Obviously, when a wife is murdered or a wife goes missing, the husband is the prime suspect right off the bat. Well, yeah. And so she's kind of... Also due to just the nature of marriage. <laughs> yeah, and just the nature of reality, right. I guess. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, she's saying these things, and you do get this impression that Nick is just kind of laid back, enjoy the ride, and has never really thought very much about anything. And so even though he's not calling a lawyer, you know, which kind of is something that people do, I guess, to aid in the perception, you know, like, how will people perceive me? I'm not going to get a lawyer because that makes you think that I'm guilty. So yeah, he's not doing that, which is a huge mistake, but he doesn't seem to appreciate the gravity of the situation. And so he doesn't know what his wife does all day he can't really answer those questions he doesn't know her blood type he doesn't know yeah. all of these things and then he's unable to really offer them anything else so it's kind of just like what is oh like my wife's thing. missing i can't tell you anything about her I, well, i'm sorry and they're even like, <laughs> yeah they're like well who does she hang out with and he's like no one <laughs> yeah i mean he can't think of one person that she hangs out with but come to find out he wouldn't even know anyway so it's like she doesn't really hang out with anyone. No, I mean, I do get the sense more or less he's telling the truth. Yeah. And, and his version of the truth is probably fairly accurate. I mean, it doesn't seem like she had real friends. Certainly. We never meet them. Right. <laughs> because she's clearly like a psychopath. <laughs> well, yeah. She hates living in the Midwest. 
very quickly we we meet Nick's dad who Which just is ends like up in at a the police flash. station. You could forget this in a second. Right, and I'm wondering why they chose to leave this in. It is weird, and just the way it fits into the movie is weird because he just happens to be at the police station while his dad is there. I guess they're thinking maybe was Nick's dad's house. We need to introduce the house, point. yeah. So in order to explain why that house is just abandoned and right. why it's there. And why it's he like, would go there. They kind of just left it in because Gillian Flynn did trim a lot out of her novel which had a lot more detail in it than the movie. So it's like, why would they have kept this in? I don't know, other than to maybe explain the it house. It has to be that. There's no but other reason. But it turns reason. into his dad kind of just being like a red herring because when he's first introduced, he's at the police station. He's like swearing and Unrelated crazy. to Nick being there. They just picked him up because he wandered away from the uh, nursing home. Right. So you're like, oh, this guy, why are they introducing him? He seems crazy. He seems potentially violent because he just seems kind of out of it. Oh, yeah. But then you never see him again, and he's not really – doesn't Either, factor in no, anything. Yeah, barely mentioned. <laughs> I think later Gilpin says they looked into it, and he's like, he's a mean old bastard, but he's as weak as a kitten or whatever. Okay. So they kind of rule him out like he wouldn't have been able to do anything. And that's it. Got it. Gilpin's quick to close the book on anything that comes across his Anything desk. that's taking guilt away from Nick, he's like, nope, it's definitely <laughs> right. Nick. Yeah. So there's some grim humor, as you mentioned. Nick goes and st stays with his twin sister, Go, and she says, just because I don't like to be around Amy doesn't mean that I don't care about her. Anyway, whoever took her is bound to bring her back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which seems like something I would say. Yeah, yeah it does. Think. There's a few things in this movie. I, I can remember thinking about you whenever we watched it the first time, and they just that guy just says, twincest. <laughs> I was like, wow. And I was like, did Zach write that joke? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we'll get to that whole thing. I, that's like a, an interesting thing, too, that I like is that is left in the story because it's kind of the deconstruction of this person that everyone assumes is guilty. Oh, yeah. And they're, so they're just tearing him apart. <laughs> I know, it's the mob looking, mentality. Making him look as bad as possible. Right. And then it's just like as soon as it's found that he's not really... Completely <laughs> turned. Yeah. yeah, it's just like, all right. I think we already kind of covered it, but I just wrote after that line, you know... Carrie Coon is go is gold in this. Her like repartee with her brother is similar to like the Amy Nick witty banter, but it's right. funnier. And yeah, because it's a lot darker. Yeah, there's no like now, pretense to it. You did have really. an issue with something that Go said early in the film. I can't remember what when was they were it? discussing like potential anniversary gifts for Anniversary Five, which the oh, traditional this is gift right. Is yeah, wood. they're a little too close, <laughs> a little too familiar. Yeah, she says, "Go home." Fuck her brains out, hit her in the face with your penis and say, there's some wood for you, bitch, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's a weird conversation, I feel like, for siblings to have. <laughs> I just don't envision it. I mean, no. I'm sure there can be a certain level of comfort where, like, people aren't, like, freaking out about sexual talk. But that's a little too graphic, I feel like. <laughs> Drop a rope in her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Jesus, go. Yeah. Relax. So, Nick obviously doesn't know what to do, but through kind of Boney's guidance, he's like, all right, I got to call Amy's parents, which he hadn't done. He's like, I'm going to call a press conference to address this missing person thing, because I don't know if this is necessarily why, but I would assume that to do a press conference this early could potentially be because Amy is somebody of some note because of her being amazing, Amy. Yeah. 
I don't know. Do they typically call a press conference it is the next weird. day for I, a missing person? This all does happen a lot quicker than you would think. I think it's because of it being the notoriety, a, like a notable person, and they don't have any information. So let's get this out there but and even see the, if anybody knows anything. The, and I know this is like part of it, but the way that this comes to be, and how, I mean, they're just like, yeah, we want you to go like talk to the cameras or whatever. And it's just like, what what are you even supposed to say in that moment? Well, that is kind of one of the big questions. Right. What are you supposed to say? What are you supposed to do? Who knows? Nick doesn't know how to act. Well, clearly not. <laughs> Don't do what he does. Recurring theme. Yeah. <laughs> but like you said, I mean, is there a right way to act? I mean, I don't know. And it's something that his future lawyer, Tanner Bolt, will point out. It's like, well, what is the right way to act? I mean, there is no right way. Right. But yeah, I mean, people form their opinions based off of superficial things. Like oh, yeah. Seeing the facial expressions of someone, seeing what I they say. Everyone what has they do. like these specific reasons for everything too, which I love. It's just like, well, I would understand if that like there's always <laughs> everything is always like well, I would have been okay with it if he did this after that like you know what I mean? Like people's right. explanations for this shit. Right. Yeah, well, you know, a big part of these high profile cases becomes the court of public opinion. And it is interesting, you know, a lot of times the public opinion verdict will jive with whatever the real verdict ends up being in these things or oh, whatever, yeah. but sometimes they don't. Everybody assumed that Casey Anthony was going to be a found guilty, and then she wasn't. That's true. And so then you're like, well, then everything's like real fucked at that right. point, because everybody <laughs> just is like... Kinda, well, we already hate her. Well, right. And she, I mean, I'm not going to get into that whole thing, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know... Or like O.J. Simpson or something, you know. Everybody just assumed he was guilty, and then it turns out the verdict is not that. Because the jury is not really experiencing, if they're following the rules and they're actually sequestered, they're not experiencing the court of public opinion oh, yeah. like everybody else The is. Nancy Grace. <laughs> These courts of public opinion are a huge part of what this movie is talking about, and Nick... I think he's kind of oblivious to like what he's headed towards. Certainly, he yeah. He has no idea that he's going to be put on display and everybody's going to be picking apart everything he says and does, which is something he kind of says later. Right. He's like, I'm tired of being picked apart by women, which is kind of a rough line, I guess. Well, it's certainly something, though, that it's like he's kind of a normal guy living like a normal life, and then when you put everything he does under the microscope, it looks pretty bad. Now, granted, I know not like every normal guy is like, cheating on their wife right but overall that's kind of like well yeah that's innocuous what I, yeah that's to, what i said right. i mean he he is a bad person but in a normal yeah acceptable bad right. way and even that act is innocuous to like general society right and we could argue all day as to whether or not it should be normalized behavior but it is i mean i'm not saying that that's the way it should be like cheating on your wife is not a big deal and it's fine whatever but We've kind of, for whatever reason, established like certain set of rules that we all live by. And cheating on your spouse is bad, and maybe you'll get a divorce, and maybe you'll never talk to your wife again, and maybe you'll have to pay alimony or whatever. Oh, boy. But you don't go to prison for it. That's a good point. It's not against the law, really. Yet. So, I mean, it's not really <laughs> the same thing as no. what Amy does right. later. But True. <laughs> all right, so... Through the, the course of this investigation, we get introduced to Amy's treasure hunt. It's something that she does every year on their anniversary. She comes up with these rhyming clues to guide Nick Which through a it thing. It is sort of surprising after you get all the detail 
it is kind of surprising that she is still carrying on doing this because it just seems like things have gotten so stale between the two of them. Well, it seems like at the beginning of their relationship, this was a fun, positive thing. And yeah. over the years, now it's, it's a way turned to take negative. Passive aggressive shots at him. Right. Yeah. To kind of show him all the failures and <laughs> <laughs> what's gone wrong and stuff. So this particular treasure hunt, which presumably, you know, was finished before she went missing, it leads them to Nick's office, his dad's house, and eventually to Go's woodshed, although it takes forever for them to figure that out. And the significance of this turns out to be talked about later, but I think for now we'll just say it's kind of a tour of Nick's infidelities. Yes. Which he's the only one who's aware of that the, at the who time. Who this should be resonating with. Right, because now that the police are involved, they don't know about his infidelity. Go doesn't even know about it. Yeah. So this is something that he needs to kind of figure out on his own as they go. But the suspicions are mounting against Nick. It's just a comedy of errors. The volunteer search, which goes horribly wrong. But he's trying to do the scavenger hunt almost ahead of the police at this point, too. I think once he figures out... What she's doing? Yeah, because in his office, there's the panties. Right. <laughs> which she did put there, yeah? I Yeah, I imagine right. so. But I think he understands what's going on, and he doesn't want them to know yeah what's going on because he's afraid that they're gonna find out about his girlfriend and yes then he'll look even worse right <laughs> but at this point he is like now starting to like tamper with evidence basically kind of yeah yeah but i mean that's the issue it's if you're innocent you would hope that the truth will set you free but what ultimately ends up happening is you start trying to outthink the police and outthink everybody else because you're like well, I am Wait, innocent. Wait, this is the way it looks. Yeah. But I did have an affair with a really young girl, and it's going to make it look like yeah, I wanted to I'm get rid of my I'm not innocent wife. of that. <laughs> the volunteer search, we get our first appearance of Desi Collings, although we don't know who, that's, who it is yet, but it is Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, he's so making like, the trek out to just show up and not really say anything to anybody. Well, I don't think His he's, ever, he's never here. met Nick. Right, but her he's, parents I guess he's are trying there. to avoid her well, parents. Well, yeah, he's got a checkered past. It is kind of weird that he makes this appearance, this brief appearance here. It, I think like, it's just planning an idea. Yeah. Because at this point it in the movie... It works for the movie, but I'm thinking, like, in the universe of the movie. I just It's weird to me that he would just kind of well, yeah. briefly show up I here. think it's trying to plant the idea that a lot of times people will return to the scene of a crime so and then if they commit a murder or something like that they will like actively participate in yeah. things like this they'll right. get involved with it so it wants the viewer to think that and, to and make that there's something weird with this dude because if you haven't read the book you don't know what's happening so you're thinking like well this could potentially be a murder mystery and we're trying to figure out who did it sure so this is planning the idea that maybe desi did it yeah and more things go poorly for Nick at this uh, event when he has a, a run-in with a certain tragedy groupie, as he refers to her. Yeah, again, his continued inability to which that was a big laugh what to for do. me. <laughs> Some fucking tragedy groupie. He takes a selfie with a woman who volunteers to like make him some food or something, but she wants to take a picture. And so he takes the selfie where he's smiling with some woman he doesn't know. And right. then he realizes he's like, that you know she's going to share this picture. Can you delete that? <laughs> and she refuses to delete it, gets indignant. Which and then he's like trying to take her phone away. 
Yeah, because he seemingly is so oblivious. He's always he's one step behind. Like his brain is kind of behind. Yep. Thinking where this is going to lead, and I guess that in a weird way, people see that as a sign of a sociopath. But at the same time, it's kind of the sign of an innocent guy too. And I think sure, I think he, it's somebody who doesn't understand what is happening. Like he doesn't yeah. know that that will look bad. Yes, <laughs> I, I do think it's that. I do think he does have some sociopath tendencies. <laughs> certainly, Maybe. I not he. I don't think we're here yet. I think once we get to that interview part. Oh yeah. I think there's certainly he can turn it on. He can turn on a certain charm. And now, okay, so you mentioned a name that is very important for this movie despite the fact that she's not actually in it. And that's Nancy Grace. We have Ellen Abbott, a character based on Nancy Grace. So, for sure. Who is leading the media circus, kind of this court of public opinion against Nick. Making declarations. Right. And she kind of becomes, you know, like a focal point in the movie, like her kind of lighting the torches for the oh, yeah. mob <laughs> against right. Nick, which is, you know, something that happens oh, quite frequently sure. yeah. in real life. Now, I'm not at any point saying that the people that have had mobs out against them have been innocent or oh, no. whatever. Who but knows? I, I'm but never for this whole like mob mentality, whether it's like the uh, whatever, the mobilizing on Twitter or like all the <laughs> shit that happens where people are like, we need to like get together and fucking say bad shit about this person ultimately a lot of the people at home watching this stuff it has nothing to do with their lives so why pick the disappearance of amy dunn to rally behind when women are murdered all the time so are men so are children right people yeah are it's like you said it's all like the time. those things that just become like high profile so yeah certain cases just get picked up on and you know the names of some of these murderers and their victims i'm not even talking about like high profile serial killers or something like that just random one-offs like lacey peterson or oh, whatever. you know yeah. stuff like that you just you you hear about right, like, yeah, just one like thing things, yeah. or whatever and it's like why is that story versus any other story i don't know but obviously in this particular case we don't know it yet at this point in the movie but they're kind of barking up the wrong tree because well yeah nick doesn't know what the fuck is going on <laughs> So we get a flashback. Amy resented not being asked about the Missouri move, and it's kind of a tough concession for her. She's never yeah, this, been I mean, outside of New York right. City, Right, it's guess. just like, she's like, I love living in my brownstone, living this life, going to these parties, you know, rubbing elbows with this group of people. Moving to the Midwest and having him work at this bar for, like, college students slash townies, I don't think is what she had dreamed up for her future. Right. I would agree with that, although in her version of the flashback, she makes it about not being asked, implying that, of course, she would say yes, because it's Nick's mother, but she's kind of just treated as if an afterthought. Yeah, and I do get that, but I do think that there would be a degree of degradation here, you know? There's this sense that she's unwelcome, that she's kind of just this thing to be packed and brought along back yeah. to Missouri. That right. Nick is going home and this is what he wants to do and she's an afterthought or whatever, which is probably true. Certainly. And now, you know, maybe one of the highlights for everyone, we get the introduction of Andy played by Emily Ratajkowski. She just shows <laughs> so, up yes, at Ghost's house. This part was this shocking. This was a shock. To me. Yeah. I was like, "What is that?" cuz he's Staying at goes while they treat the Dunn residence as a crime scene. So he's staying at his sister's. 
He stayed there one night. This is the second night. He's like on her couch in the living room. He's, well, the way this has is, a phone and he gets a text. Right. And he's like checking at the front door and there's no one there. It's like, I'm outside. And you're like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the girl from the fucking Blurred Lines video is bursting in the side oh, door. Oh, yeah. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> attacking him sexually. <laughs> sexually attacking. Yeah, good Lord. It is funny because Fincher was looking for somebody to play Andy, and Emily Ratajkowski was Ben Affleck's suggestion. He was like, I've got someone in mind. <laughs> yeah, that is an LOL. It's <laughs> like, yeah, I bet you yeah. got someone in right. mind. Yeah. <laughs> and she comes off as impulsive, a little crazy, super unbelievably hot, way too young for Ben Affleck. And kind of in line with Nick's thinking, really not understanding the seriousness of this Amy situation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's not getting it. He's like, you can never say that again whenever she says you were going to get a divorce. Right. Because <laughs> he, he at least is kind of grasping a little bit that certain things will make This it... is not lining up good for him. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I don't know what happened, but this could look really bad. Right. <laughs> So at least he's a little bit getting there in the oh, yeah. space. I think it's slowly sinking in for him. To this point, Go and the police and everybody else are kind of unaware of Andy's existence. But, you know, we'll get there. So now we get this domestic abuse flashback, which is a dark Oh, by turn. the way, you know, he fucks Andy. <laughs> like, Right. Well, yeah. With his sister in the back room. Right. Well, that yeah, that all happens... That kind of gets like pieced together on the two ends of this flashback. Okay, gotcha. Because then we go to this flashback where there's a domestic abuse situation. It's kind of a dark turn in the narrative. You know, Amy and Nick are fighting about having a kid or something, and he throws her into a banister, and she's on oh, the ground. Oh, yeah, right. I mean, that takes a turn where you're like, well, I wasn't really thinking that it was... Because that is, like, you know, not cool. I mean, he's... Really crossing a line here now. Right, and it makes Nick seem like a villain, obviously. And as a viewer, all of a sudden you're like, well, if this is true, then... Anything could have happened, yeah. Yeah, this is fucked up. And this is coupled with the idea that Amy's going to get a gun. She thinks she needs it to protect herself. And, you know, this leads to the abandoned mall. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's where she goes to get the gun. I think, Again, get, I think Boney and Gilpin first go to the abandoned mall just to kind of follow up on the idea of these random packs of homeless people that are in the area, which is kind of a crazy little subplot going on in this I don't movie. know. See, she has this contact that sells whatever within the mall. You know, he sells, it seems like drugs, I guess. I don't know what else. Yeah, but, so um, they're following, like, a drug angle. Yeah, because they were like, oh, they make a couple comments about it, like, housewives having, like, pill problems and stuff. But, like, they do just go up to him and show him the picture of Amy. Right. Yeah, and he's like, uh, yeah, she came in here. She came in this abandoned mall. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, there is a certain amount of, like, well, isn't this convenient that the first guy that they talk to in this abandoned mall is the one that Amy Plus, it's like tried to buy a gun from? The criminal element in this abandoned mall, high, very high. And yeah. this fucking skinny blonde chick <laughs> who is, like, smoking hot is walking into this mall <laughs> with, like, all these, like, scumbags around and nothing happens to her. Well, would you want to mess with her? Fuck no. <laughs> The reason why I bring this up is it's kind of confusing because Boney and Gilpin have not found her diary yet. Yet they managed to end up going to this mall where she tried to buy a gun, which is 
certainly kind of a leap to make that this could all come together this easily. Yes. It would seem more likely that they could have maybe followed up the gun lead later after they actually read her diary, but they don't even know that she tried to buy a gun. This right. is what this, this is guy where it's tells revealed, them. yeah. And this is all kind of put together with the domestic abuse flashback, and now you can see that there is a narrative forming as to what happened, what went wrong between Nick and Amy, and where it led. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot went wrong. And obviously, we just got done seeing Andy come in through the side door, pop her titties out. And oh, yeah. We're like, this motherfucker, we didn't know about Andy. We didn't know about the fact that he threw Amy into a banister and then she tried to buy a gun. Now, all of a sudden, the viewer is thinking, like, well... Now there's a lot of bad details for Nick. Maybe <laughs> maybe he isn't just an idiot. Maybe he is a murderer. And we've been fooled this whole time. Maybe he is the sociopath. Right. That's what's so fun about this movie is it's a great script with fun characters there's some fun banter the next morning when Go finds out Flips about out Andy. out on him, yeah. It's like, boo-hoo, I lost my job. I guess I'll fuck a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just shit like that. Oh, yeah. It's kind of fun that, for the viewer, this is all turning right now, right when, in the film, the pressure is really increasing on Nick, and everybody is assuming he did it. And we get a funny line when Gilpin's like, talking to another cop and he's like my wife says he's a killer <laughs> and Boney's like well if tiffany says yeah <laughs> and it's like of course her name is tiffany that's right it's so great they have this candlelight vigil and then you kind of get a look at this town oh and god this is so funny the two <laughs> there's two younger girls in the front row and one of them is like oh he's hot and the other one's just like ooh, oh that's gross yeah, yeah. You get like kind of the polar opposite reactions between the two of them, which kind of speaks to how people react to the national news coverage. Yes, yes. Everyone kind of has that gut reaction. Right. Which, you know, plays into the idea of the court of public opinion. Uh, in other words, it's based on nothing. We get some just great reactions from Andy in the crowd to the speech that he gives. <laughs> yeah, he gives a public declaration of innocence, but also of love for his wife. And it cuts to Andy in the yeah, crowd of the visual, to... just mouthing the word asshole. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's trying to ratchet up, you know, his damage control now. This is the first time where he addresses the media coming after him a little bit and that he kind of seemingly is aware that there could be an issue with how things yeah. have gone Although so far. Although even this seems like the timing is weird that he would make this kind of declaration of innocence at this vigil, you know, this candlelight thing where he's just... Just so you guys know, I didn't kill my wife. <laughs> yeah, maybe it speaks to what Nick thinks is important. I mean, this is in front of presumably his family and friends. I mean, we don't really know if he knows these many of these people or not. I yeah. don't know. But he has kind of acted like the homecoming king, to quote oh, Amy's yeah, mom. Right. Like, whenever they were doing that initial search and now at this vigil, he's shaking people's hands. It's like he's a politician, you know. He's kissing babies and <laughs> yeah. you know, the whole thing. And these are the people that he seemingly thinks are important. I mean, he got out of New York. He came back to his hometown. And he doesn't want these people to think that he's a bad guy. And if that's the narrative out there, so he's going to take this opportunity to say it. But things go awry because Noel Hawthorne shows up, who oh, is yeah. one of their... Nick and Amy's neighbors, played by uh, Casey Wilson, right? 
Uh, yeah, that's right. I think. And she's got some declarations of her she's own to make. Claiming to be Amy's best friend, she already approached. Where's Bonnie your wife, that. Nick? <laughs> she makes it seem like Nick doesn't know his wife at all, or is just a liar. And Noel blurts out this idea that Amy was pregnant, which Nick, of course, knows nothing about. This public scene, this declaration of pregnancy, this all prompts Boney to turn up the heat because she's been holding back a little bit on what she has because she's trying to figure out what's really going on. Now she's going to turn it on Nick a little bit. She brings up the massive credit card debt, which is something like $117,000 or something like that, which seems insane. Yes. A lot of high limits that (laughs) apparently they don't have an issue with. And she kind of runs Seems insane slash relatable. Right. Yeah. I was going to say it seems insanely low to be making a big deal about. (laughs) Right. It's like, come on, that's nothing. (laughs) Then she runs through the crime scene and she points out all these things that are wrong with it. You know, pictures that should have been knocked over. It looks way too staged. Then the blood that lit up the floor when they did the luminol test, everything. And it's like Nick looks fucking bad. And then it finds out. Oh, we get her health tests back from the doctor. She was pregnant. <laughs> and this is one of my favorite moments in the whole movie where he just <laughs> chucks his liquor glass down on the floor and, and it shatters. So, yeah, now it's lawyer time because he doesn't know what the fuck is going on. Everything he thinks is right is wrong. It's, yeah. Everything's the opposite. He doesn't know what to do. He wasn't prepared for any of this. And I kind of relate to that frustration. I mean,. Obviously, throwing the glass on the floor is maybe not the best not a thing good to look. do in front not of the police. Not a good look, no. He legitimately didn't know that she was pregnant. He doesn't know who Noelle Hawthorne is. He didn't know about the credit card stuff. And he's being caught off guard with all that's of it. The thing, he doesn't the fact know what that, to do. And the blood being all over the floor in the kitchen is like, wouldn't you just be like, well, what the fuck? Then she's definitely dead. Right. Yeah. But one wonders if maybe his suspicions are starting to awaken now we don't know but well yeah because it's like he knows he didn't kill her so how the fuck else do you explain this yeah it's it's too much it's like overwhelming yeah weird all of this is so after boney and gilpin leave go confronts nick because for the first time she doesn't know what the truth is she has been unquestionably supporting oh yeah him, loyal defending him but she just found out that morning that he's got this like 20 right year old so girlfriend. now it's like i don't know now it does seem suspicious it seems like amy was pregnant go didn't know about any of this stuff and so nick tells her the truth about amy not wanting kids and then he brings out his box of hate which I think he's bringing out to support his This case, is weird. But yeah. it makes it seem even worse. Right. It's like you kept all of these things that you hate about your wife in this <laughs> box. A letter from Desi, the letter from the fertility clinic saying they were going to discard his sample because she didn't want to do anything with it. Yeah, what? Uh, I, all this I stuff really that don't was like get infuriating yeah. him, I guess. The copy of their prenup, which he had to sign, which is kind of humiliating. Certainly. He legitimately, I think, did hate Amy. Well, yeah. I think <laughs> I mean, he I think was that's the conclusion. Ready. He wanted a divorce, obviously, which we find out. I mean, this is real to a point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For some reason, he, I guess, you know, when she w- would go out or something, he would take that box out and just look at it. <laughs> and be like, God, I hate my wife. <laughs> like, work himself into a frenzy. 
at the same time that Nick finally figures out clue three of Amy's treasure hunt, which leads him to the woodshed in Go's backyard, Boney and Gilpin find the diary, which was at stop two of the treasure hunt, which was Nick's dad's house. Now, this is all kind of complicated, but the easiest way to explain it is she led him to his dad's house where she had changed the security code on the alarm system. Yeah, so the cops so that would the show the alarm up. would go off and make the cops show up there and then go back there and think, why was he here? What was he trying to do? Then they find the diary that it looks like he tried to burn in the furnace of this house. It's kind of convoluted. Yeah, make but no mistake about it. This was a well-thought-out plan. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> This is all kind of happening at once, and as Nick approaches Go's Woodshed, thanks to the narrative structure of the film to this point, you could be believing either Nick is guilty. Right. And I mean, it's so crazy that the like the clues at this point are like threatening, <laughs> you know? No, not yet. Oh, that's but... the one that's in the woodshed? So, yeah, I was I'd... thinking the whole thing with the woodshed. Oh, I guess that was like sexual in nature. Yeah. Right. Like, you could either be believing Nick is guilty, but a true sociopath, which seems unlikely since Nick seems clueless, even when he's by himself. Yeah, he doesn't seem that manipulative here. Right. We've seen him in scenes where he's not putting on a show for the cops or go, and it doesn't seem like he knows what's going on at any point. Or he could open up this woodshed door to discover Amy's corpse, and this has all been an elaborate plan. That seemed like it was on the table, yeah. Like, you don't know what he's opening this shed to reveal and like it didn't really sink in for me immediately i didn't really get it at first when he does open it i mean they explain it so it wasn't like (laughs) but like when they first did it i was like what the fuck okay so he opens up the door and it is all the shit that was bought on the credit cards on his and amy's credit cards that he didn't know about because they go over like computer they go over the list with him but it's kind of like it's kind of like one of those things that like I wasn't really remembering what they said at that part by the time. (laughs) Later, Tanner Bolt will refer to it as the showcase showdown. It's just like a big collection of stuff. Right. And in the middle is a box with a ribbon on it, which is, I guess, the anniversary gift. Yes. And at this point, you don't really know what is happening until, of course, it clicks over and we get Amy's voice, which we've heard as kind of narrating the flashbacks through her diary, except now this time... It's not actually right. Her diary. We, we're actually going back to the beginning of the movie, time frame wise. Nick and Amy will be gone, but then we never really existed. Nick loved a girl I was pretending to be. Cool girl. Men always use that, don't they, as their defining compliment. She's a cool girl. Cool girl is hot. Cool girl is game. Cool girl is fun. Cool girl never gets angry at her man. She only smiles in a chagrin, loving manner, and then presents her mouth for fucking. She likes what he likes, so evidently, he's a vinyl hipster who loves fetish manga. If he likes girls gone wild, she's a mall babe who talks football and endures buffalo wings at Hooters. When I met Nick Dunn, I knew he wanted cool girl. And for him, I'll admit, I was willing to try. I wax strip my pussy raw. I drank canned beer watching Adam Sandler movies. I ate cold pizza and remained a size two. I blew him, semi-regularly. I lived in the moment. I was fucking game. I can't say I didn't enjoy some of it. Nick teased out in me things I didn't know existed. 
a lightness, a humor, an ease. But I made him smarter, sharper. I inspired him to rise to my level. I forged the man of my dreams. We were happy pretending to be other people. We were the happiest couple we knew. And what's the point of being together if you're not the happiest? But Nick got lazy. He became someone I did not agree to marry. He actually expected me to love him unconditionally. Then he dragged me, penniless, to the navel of this great country and found himself a newer, younger, bouncier, cool girl. You think I'd let him destroy me and end up happier than ever? No fucking way. He doesn't get to win. So now we have confirmation that Amy is alive. And as I said, her narration And you're switches. like, holy shit, this movie's fucking twisted. Okay, before we get into what she did specifically, what are your thoughts on the cool girl clip that we just played? Like that whole thing, the whole cool Well, yeah, girl I mean, we get speech. into it. I feel like we talk about this stuff in other episodes, right? I mean, the idea of guys wanting that character and that character existing in other movies. I have found that people, or specifically women that don't like this movie, love this part, though. They think that this is kind of the feminist speech of the movie and that this is great, and it kind of takes to task like shitty men, which it does to a certain extent, but I have some issues with it, and I think some of the things that Amy says here are kind of anti-women in a way. Probably. I'm, talking about I kinda... I'm not talking about the stuff that she does to Noel. We'll get to that. Yeah, I mean, this I, is just the well, cool girl yeah. part of the speech. I understand that the listeners just listen to the speech, but I, I'm trying to remember all the well, lines When she's driving it. along and she says, oh, she must like Japanese. Oh, yeah, and she's like making fun of like that vinyl. hipster chick. Yeah. And then she makes fun of the other chick who just looks happy. Yeah, she singing. just seems like a kind of... And so what she's implying is She seems like a cynic. <laughs> a woman could not like those things on their own. She, there's no men in those cars. She's just looking at a woman driving by herself who's got like kind of crazy hair and she looks like a hipster. And to so me, she that just also just that, seems like you. she could just be making fun of anyone for whatever they're wearing or doing. Right, but what I'm saying is she's just accusing those women of being how their boyfriends or their husbands are. Yeah. But she's not basing that on anything. No. Other than what they look like. So what she's saying is that those women couldn't like those whatever those things are, whether it's Japanese henta or whatever the fuck she says, vinyl or Buffalo Wild Wings and Adam Sandler movies or whatever the fuck she says. Yeah. The, a woman couldn't just choose to like those things on her own. Who's the girl that likes Adam Sandler movies? Kinda I think she actually her. says that about herself. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. She she, I watched Adam Sandler. Right. But she says she likes Hooters and football or whatever, you know, yeah, yeah. whatever she says about the one. Who's? I don't really know where she's even getting the whole speech about Hooters and football. She yeah, I don't know. like a girl singing. Right. But, like, which, but what I'm saying is a girl could like hipster m manga yeah. vinyl on, their, on her own or she could like going to Buffalo Wild Wings and watching football on her own. Like, well, absolutely. She's basically just saying... Women are incapable of choosing things, and so... But she probably feels that way because she's 
guilty of this, it seems like. Right, but I'm saying it's kind of this anti-feminist stance that I don't understand why... All right, well, your beef's not with me. ...women love the speech whenever the speech is... I mean, it's against men, but it's also against women. And I think it's funny because I did see somebody writing about this film saying it was like simultaneously misogynistic and misandrist, which is like anti-men and anti-women at the same time. Well, yeah. But like... That seems more like this show. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, Amy is just kind of a unhappy person that doesn't like really? anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Which I can relate to. Absolutely. <laughs> she does say some great stuff in the cool girl speech. Oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I think overall it's a highly entertaining, I think it works as great like, speech yeah. of just being unhappy with marriage. But to act like... This is some big, like, feminist well, manifesto. Well, I think, I think they probably feel like they agree with the beats of it. But then, yeah, I mean, as you point out, it's just like, is this the person you want to get behind? <laughs> I mean, what she's saying about these other people? Yeah, and the rest of her thing is not exactly, like, a big pro-women thing either. Because she kind of breaks down everything she does, which is a lot of times in movies you'd be like, well, show us, don't tell us. But there's so much detail oh, right. in this movie. Yeah. You need, like, kind of a quick recap so here's what she does. First thing, befriend a local idiot, <laughs> Noel. Check. And tell her about your marital problems, including your husband's violent temper. Secretly create some money troubles with credit cards, perhaps online gambling. With the help of the unwitting, Nick, bump up your life insurance. <laughs> She's just like, sign this. He's like, all right. Purchase getaway car from Craigslist, pay cash. There's a need to package yourself so people will truly mourn your loss, and America loves pregnant women. So we see her stealing Noelle's pee <laughs> by having her kind pee a into a move. broken toilet. Yep. But this is funny because Noelle is so far along in her pregnancy at this point that the pee would not match up with Well, this like detail Amy. of it always seemed nuts. Yeah. For the sake of the movie, she creates a pregnancy in her official medical record, which then comes back to haunt Nick later. Next, create a crime scene that seems a little off. You need a lot of blood, a lot, a lot of blood, as she says, and make sure it's poorly cleaned, you know, recreating mistakes that she thinks that Nick would make. Right. <laughs> Still being passive aggressive in, you know, her own plan. She considered herself so smart that she didn't want to be too good at this because then know. the police wouldn't find wouldn't. the right clues. <laughs> right. She needed to make it so that they actually found this stuff. This is all obviously one of the more important items and this comes in handy for the sake of the storytelling which is a diary with at least 300 entries on the nick and amy story so i kind of missed this man detail she's the got first a lot time. of time on her hands she doesn't have any friends i know she doesn't have any job i missed this the first time around i thought that the diary was real up until the parts that she started making up i kind of somehow missed the fact that she just wrote this whole thing made in the whole preparation thing up. Yeah. for this well not made it up event. but whatever right she says, start with the fairy tale early days. These are true and crucial. Nick and Amy have to but, be likable. But that's the thing. And that's the kind of the detail that I didn't really pay attention to before this last viewing, really, where she's like, make it be true, which is like really indicative that a lot of the shit on the bad side isn't true. She knows that the beginning needs to be true because a lot of this stuff will be able to be checked. Yeah. And so if she just makes everything up, then Nick will say that, oh, the this is not a real diary because we didn't meet here. We met there. But yeah, yeah. You know, everything is wrong. So a lot of it has to be true to get people on board with it. And then kind of the secret stuff between them in the heart of their marriage is the stuff she can create. 
After that, you invent the spending, the abuse, the fear, the threat of violence. Burn it just the right amount. Make sure the cops will find it. We've already talked about the changing so of the security code. Do you think that 100% the push actually happened? What, when he pushed her into the banister? Yeah. No, that didn't happen. Okay. So you definitely say are saying no, it did not happen. No, because she says after that you invent the spending, the abuse, the fear, the threat of violence. Right. It's just the way that that scene is presented at the time of the movie that it is when everything else that's happening is pretty much real. It's weird that you get that. Right. Yeah. You don't know at that point that her right. diary is untrustworthy. Yeah. But you find out in her own words, in her own narration, whenever it cuts to her being alive. Yeah, and and, and I would plan. say though, taking this all in mind and where the movie's going, he's not incapable of physical abuse towards her. No, I mean probably not. Although the circumstances, well, because we see it, <laughs> have changed dramatically. Certainly, at that point. right? Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I know it's there's a lot of gray area, and I think the first time you see this movie, like I said, I thought that the diary was a real thing that she kept her whole life and then only parts of it were invented later but no the whole thing was yeah, created yeah. for the purpose of this and you thought the push may have been real i mean it's you know you kind of need to see it a few times to really fully grasp for sure. all these details because there's a lot happening and a lot of moving parts okay continue it's very intricate on a tradition with a very special treasure hunt so she does this treasure hunt in a way that works to her benefit because it kind of puts Nick on the defensive about his relationship with Andy. It takes the cops to the dad's house. Oh, yeah. It does all these things. But it also is fun for her. She's in, she wants <laughs> right. to make sure that Nick gets this tour of his own infidelities. And she says, and if I get everything right, the world will hate Nick for killing his beautiful pregnant wife. True. Now, my thoughts on this are kind of, yes, this is a great, unbelievable, diabolical plan, but it really needed to go perfectly or else she could have fucked herself a few times. For sure. Especially if Nick would have figured out the treasure hunt immediately. What if Nick just came back from the spot where he goes to contemplate their marriage like quicker than he did? Right, yeah, that would have been fun. He walks right. in on her while she's draining that yeah. blood from her arm. <laughs> like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Nothing. I just think that the part with the treasure hunt, obviously, okay, so Nick and Go figure out the clues with the anniversary gift, like up, up, up the river, meaning oh, she's yeah. revealing herself to Nick now that she is alive and that she set him up. And it's the gift itself is a Punch and Judy puppet set with Amy's last rhyming note and everything. And I just feel like if Nick hadn't been such a dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> That's harsh, but like, <laughs> if he wouldn't have been so afraid of the truth from the beginning. Meanwhile, yeah. if he would have told the police about it, gotten Andy, out in front of it, if he would have been like, "I am innocent. I will tell you everything. I'll tell you about the affair. I'll tell you everything." And they went through this treasure hunt together, and then he showed them this note, and the police would see what it said. They might come to the same conclusion. Oh, and for then sure, Amy's because plan is fucked. Then if they read this final note, which seems way more obvious that it's like not normal. Right. It's not like something it's like that threatening. Yeah, you would actually write to someone your that you know you're in love with. Right. So the Punch and Judy things are kind of funny and I have been thinking a lot about them. I looked it up and I was just like I kind of know generally what the Punch and Judy thing is, but 
I just wanted to read through it and try to see if there was anything there. And I don't know, it's kind of a traditional puppet show. It has its roots in Italy in the 16th century. It came to England in 1662. It's a violent show, originally for adults, but somehow over time became for children. Where <laughs> As things do. Punch ends up killing a lot of people with his club, including his wife Judy and their child. It's done as a comedy, Very happy, but it's yeah. kind of fucked up. I would say. But the thing that I like out of this, and it kind of works in two ways. One, because Amy's setting this up as if Nick is Punch in this story. Right. But also, the expression, pleased as Punch, comes from Punch and Judy. Ah, okay. And I was just thinking, like, Amy is pleased as Punch with herself. Oh, yeah. And in a way, that's like kind of her... I don't want to say downfall because she ends up being fine, but it's kind of the only thing that holds her back from this being the perfect plan of what she originally Well, intended. yeah. She gets so pleased this punch with herself. That she that, needs to see it play out yeah, and enjoy. We'll get there because, I mean, you know, there's still a lot left. <laughs> All right. Oh, boy. Yeah, too many self-satisfying gambles on Amy's part. In other words, she did enough to frame him that she didn't need to do all this other stuff. You know what I mean? Like she still could have got him framed for this murder without right. the self-satisfying things that she was doing. I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel that like that puts it at risk. Yeah. There was too much risk that she was saying now for the sake of the movie, those things don't really factor into it because he does keep everything. A and secret the thing is, for whatever I mean, reason, it wouldn't have mattered because if she did actually follow through with killing herself and she turned up dead, a lot of those other little details that didn't make sense would have just fell to the wayside. That's true, but I kind of don't know if she was ever really going Yeah, to. I don't know. But we should point out Amy's calendar, LOL, with the sticky right. note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just says kill self, question mark. Right. <laughs> That's like my calendar. I, yeah. was, I have a, a sticky note weird. every day. I mean, it is like w- trying to get in her head for that where it's like, this is the goal? <laughs> that needs to be a part of the plan, I guess, in order to see this whole thing through is the idea. But the goal, I mean, you're just, you're going to commit. I guess that's You're going to kill yourself because you're so committed to your husband having a horrible life in jail or like getting the death penalty. I guess she feels that broken up about the end of her marriage, like the end of her fairy tale. But I mean, like I said, I don't really think she was ever going to. This was like her fantasy world. Gotcha. There was never, she was so pleased with herself. Right. And she just wanted to watch it play out. Uh, ultimately, if she would have got him arrested for the murder, sent to prison, or you know, given the death penalty or whatever, she would have loved to live through that and enjoy it. And the ultimate thing would be to not even be dead at all. Yeah. <laughs> and to have done that—that's an insane thing to pull off. So back at the like dinner table at Go's house, where they're like, you know, going over this Punch and Judy thing, and it's just like they now know that she's alive. Yeah. And that she's doing this at him, yeah. This, which is I mean, just like a crazy realization. Yeah, this twist in this movie is like the first of many, obviously. And yeah, you're just like, oh, wow. Now this has kind of turned what this movie is on its head. Right. You thought this was like a murdered missing wife, maybe potentially <laughs> a murder mystery. So insane. I just remember thinking like from this part, like forward and stuff. And now it's like we have this weird cat and mouse game of a husband and wife doing things like against each other (laughs) through the media. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's like lives are at stake here. Yeah. It's just a wild game. Right. So Amy has taken residency in the Ozarks 
which again, kind of like Punch and Judy, I looked up because I was like, you hear the Ozarks all the time. Oh yeah, it's got its own show now. Yeah, there's a show called Ozarks. Supposedly, True Detective season three will be taking place there okay. as well. I'm yeah. like, well, what are they exactly? I didn't never realized until like this past viewing that that's where they were, the Ozarks during this sequence. Yeah, because I don't even think it, I even had heard of the Ozarks like <laughs> five years ago or whatever, four years ago. Okay, the Ozarks, also referred to as the Ozark Mountains and Ozark Plateau, is a physiographic region in the United States covering area in Arkansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Kansas. So it's just like a little mountainous area, I guess, that's yeah. down there in the south. She's hiding there. She meets Greta, played by Lola Kirk, who every time I had watched this movie up until this point, I thought she had herpes, but I guess... She's like a busted lip. She got punched in the face, I guess. Could be a cover story for herpes. Well, when I was looking at it closely, it doesn't seem like herpes, I guess. It seems like kind of like a cut on her lip or something. She's like, she says something like, oh, I see we have the same taste in men. Because I guess we should mention that in addition to like cutting her hair, dyeing her hair, wearing glasses, she She also hits herself herself in in the the face face. with a hammer. Yeah. Right? Which I never really understood. No what she was doing other than i guess she was trying to set up injuries for when she killed herself i guess so it looked yeah. like she was abused it's she's crazy <laughs> <laughs> it's this like in case you hadn't figured dedication. it out she fucking <laughs> pulls that hammer out and hits herself in the face you're like oh okay yeah i get it almost immediately amy's like up on the public internet at this cabin resort area in having to read about the results of her plan yeah she's reveling in it oh yeah she's loving it Please this punch, if you will. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I would say potentially addicted to her own news coverage, which will factor into it, everything it she seems does so, yeah. from here on out. The story of Amy catching Nick cheat with Andy is something that she tells to Greta one day at the pool. And basically, as you kind of alluded to, Nick recreates this sugar storm except with snow right. coming out of the bar with Andy Amy, I don't even know why well, she when you have a move and you, when you have success with one move, yeah, he takes like his two fingers and he like brushes her lips. Oh yeah. The same way he did with Amy. And she, <laughs> she's she's like that motherfucker. <laughs> she sees him kiss Andy. <laughs> I love Greta. It's just like that is the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I love Greta in this movie. Oh, yeah. And I I was blown away in a brief but fun performance. Lola Kirk was in this movie that came out this year called Gemini, and I didn't even realize it was her because she's so different from this right. character. Right, and I've seen Lola Kirk and stuff before. Yeah, and when you told me that that was her, I had I was like, really? That's not my memory of it that she's in that movie because she does look so different. Yeah, she's really kind of inhabiting a character here in a way that's pretty impressive. She's the younger sister of Jemima Kirk from Girls, right. for people who don't know, but... Anyway, it, you know, as we mentioned several times in the first, you know, hour and a half of this thing, that the cast is pretty impressive. Certainly. Meanwhile, Nick goes to New York City to track down famed defense attorney Tanner Bolt, played by Tyler Perry. Yeah. Tanner not only immediately believes Nick, he, he loves <laughs> it. He says, I'm way in. Oh, yeah. It's like, holy shit. You got a, ba- you got a case of a bad one here. Okay. Even though Tanner is this famed defense attorney who's as ellen abbott called him the patron saint of wife killers or whatever <laughs> well it seemed like he was really 
jockeying for this job when he was going on her show to speak about right, he it. He wants the high profile yeah. cases. But even though he's used to this and he's probably used to hearing all kinds of crazy stories and he's used to dealing with all kinds of characters and sure. these kind of things, I can't imagine a scenario where any lawyer would believe this story. I know right it's not. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> yep. But, I mean, I guess he does, because that's never really a question Right. the rest of the movie. He says, I guess he has the fresh perspective of being able to hear all the other details that aren't really out there with the police from the beginning. That's true, but even still, I know, a guy it, who's being accused of murder basically shows up and he's spinning this insane story. <laughs> Your first reaction would be like, well, none of this is true. Why would she do this? <laughs> This seems way too good to be true. Right. <laughs> but his first reaction is that they need to realign the perception of Amy, stop having people see her as America's sweetheart. Nick's like, have them see her for what she really is. <laughs> An evil spider <laughs> woman. <laughs> yeah, this plays into, I think when he first arrives in New York City, you see a TV in the background. It's like mystery in the heartland because they have to come up with their ridiculous names okay and yeah it really is just this like commentary on the 24-hour news cycle right and just jacking off to other people's tragedies pretty much yeah it's just like a <laughs> gross fucking tragedy groupie <laughs> yeah it's just a real gross thing and the grossest part of this movie is the fact that he's innocent and yet people were still acting like this <laughs> yeah. you know but i always i've always loved that and i think in a way probably I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to make this like some political thing, but I, I do feel like it was probably Fox News that I first remember doing this. But the cable news channels like coming up with those names for when things happen. Oh, right. Yeah. So whether it was like a school shooting or a specific murder case or whatever, they would have like some crazy name for it. And th so the mystery and the heartland thing, you know, it kind of in a way cheapens real things, you know, real death real events that happen it makes it seem like it's for your entertainment oh yeah <laughs> you know what i'm saying right but it's tanner's idea to track down tommy o'hara played by scoot mcnary and when nick finds him tommy is a broken man oh yeah he's had a rough go of it is wild and very detailed this is kind of one of those forks in the road probably for people with this movie i mean tommy's story of being framed for rape is a problematic hurdle for some people i get it but i mean maybe the straw that finally broke the camel's back if they had been struggling up until this point but frankly gone girl only gets more fucked up crazy and fun from here i really? mean this is like <laughs> we're just like scratching the surface of how like ridiculous oh, and yeah. crazy this is gonna be and i think sometimes it's just like you gotta like enjoy the ride of just a no story kidding. of fiction yeah but yeah Who would have thought a movie could be fun <laughs> i mean i do understand i know, get it that dude, yeah. tommy's thing is kind of rough but could it happen <laughs> well i'm sure it could <laughs> all right there you go and he says his like final thought on it is like yeah Amy's graduated from being raped to being murdered. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> so he's, yeah. I, he saw the coverage on TV, and I guess he knew immediately. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, he's had a rough life, though. Amy is just a fun villain. I, I would agree with there's that. There's no other way around yeah. it. Back in the and there's a, a part of you that's like, you know, I'd like to get involved with a girl like that a little bit. <laughs> especially, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, especially at the end of the movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Back in the Ozarks, it turns out Greta is really into Ellen Abbott and has been following the story of Amy's disappearance. 
Amy has dyed her hair and is wearing glasses, so I guess Greta can't see that it's her. You know, or, I, that, or can she? I love these. It things. It seems like she may be fucking with her. I don't think so. No, <laughs> I think Greta is kind of like an idiot. Well, I would say so. Yeah, <laughs> an idiot might be harsh. She's she's concerned about herself. She and certainly only. has good taste and enthusiasm over uh, soda choices. <laughs> right. Amy is going by the name Nancy. I guess we should just point out doesn't really factor into anything but that's her kind of pretend name and you can see amy loves watching her own coverage but as you pointed out greta starts kind of trashing amy a little bit oh, yeah. and then she goes into the other room and amy spits in her mountain dew. right well that's the thing that's, that's how highly she thinks of herself this random like girl who is so meaningless trashing her based on like tv coverage is like pissing her off yeah <laughs> So Greta leaves the room, Amy spits in her Mountain Dew, and then Greta drinks it, and then just says, fuck yeah. Right. I don't understand it. But it's I great it. that it made it in the movie. It's yeah. maybe my favorite scene in any movie oh, ever. Yeah. It's up there, certainly. <laughs> we find out that Tanner's retainer is 100000 Yeah, I mean, paying this guy seems, like, impossible. I mean, he does say something that... We'll maybe, work it out. Yeah, yeah. like... He definitely wants the case for coverage, so I mean, I think you know he'll probably just do whatever he has to to make it work. Right. But Nick tells Go this, and Go's just like instantly like, this "I got forty seven thousand in savings, I got twenty five hundred in IRA, and I'm approved for a second mortgage of the house." And it is just kind of like, "All right, wow, slow down." Yeah, you're gonna just completely forfeit your life savings for this. Well, she cares a lot. About yeah, her I brother, guess so. I guess. Yeah. But this is while he's on the phone, and then he hangs up the phone, and he's waiting in the airport, disguised with the Mets hat and everything. Nick overhears those two dudes talking, and the one says twin cest, because <laughs> right. that's that's the new narrative that Ellen Abbott is pushing on the cable news. Now. Right. It was movie club sitting in that <laughs> What are they doing waiting? in that bar? Playing house? <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, it's it becomes that thing of, like, well, she's probably on for – an hour oh i know and these day. are like the weird random storylines that get out there and become like a part of the narrative you got to fill that five hours a week or maybe it's two hours a day so then it's 10 hours a week she's got to fill with oh stuff boy and it's yeah. all of a sudden this story is spinning let's run with it wildly yeah. out of control <laughs> she's having experts on to talk about the psychological relationship between nick and go two people that they've never met right <laughs> <laughs> or done like a professional study of in any way Amy calls the tip line that has been set up to report strange activity at Go's Woodshed. It's time to kind of get this nudged along in the direction that she wants it to go. Yep. She also symbolically removes the kill self sticky note from her calendar because, I mean, I take it that she's having too much fun. Like this It seems is fun it. Now. Yeah. Yeah. She's Why would in she want to leave whenever this is going how she wants it to go and she's yeah. getting to watch it go? But it is like. How much money did she take? Obviously, we know she gets robbed, but how long was this going to carry on? I don't know. Where was this going to go for her? Yeah, I mean, if she doesn't kill herself and she doesn't end up getting robbed, then yeah, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I guess she just relocates to somewhere else. I don't know how she would have a new identity, but yeah, why worry about that now? She's That's a good fun. point, yeah. <laughs> on his way back to St. Louis, Nick tries to see Desi Collings who we mentioned is Neil Patrick Harris. He's an ultra-wealthy ex-boyfriend of Amy's from high school. They've mentioned to us before that things were rocky. He was obsessive. 
Right. Amy has said that Desi stalked her, attempted suicide, and that Amy had to take out a restraining order against him. Now, the fun thing about this is, like, when he goes and talks to the other dude, and it seems like when he's going to go talk to Desi, he's really going to come from the perspective of, man, I know what she did to you, like... Tell your side. Right. And then come to find out, it seems like maybe with the Desi thing, it wasn't all smoke and mirrors with her. I don't know how we're supposed to read what happened with Desi, like... The truth is never really revealed, and obviously we find out how much of an unreliable person Amy is when it comes to this stuff, so we don't know. And he doesn't confirm or deny anything. It seemed like those two must have had quite a relationship. I guess like the thing with him is she was really never that upset that they broke up. (laughs) She didn't have to have like a revenge plan with him. Yeah, I don't know. But whatever the case may be between the two of them, he's clearly still carrying a torch. I mean, he showed up for the search. Right. He won't turn his back on her now to the man that is suspected of killing The other thing about Desi is he is, like, filthy fucking rich. Right. I assume it's a family wealth, but that's never really explained. But, yeah. And it's something that Nick references, I think, when he's talking to Go when the box of hate comes out that Desi was always this guy hanging over his head, like the super wealthy ex-boyfriend that she could run to if she wanted to and that was still writing her letters and all that stuff. So he's kind of always been on the periphery of their lives. He's always just kind of been there. And Nick never met him, but now Now he's he's reaching out and Desi doesn't want any part of it, really. Yeah. Our lead investigator, Rhonda Boney, feels like something is off. But Gilpin in America (laughs) believe Nick is guilty. So Boney's like kind of... One of the only yes, holdouts to this because I think like her intuition is still just like this seems too perfect. So, yeah, something is off. Nothing here. would look like this. Like it just wouldn't look like it. Right. There'd be too many. As we found out listening to serial, it's like <laughs> the truth is much more complicated. Yeah, yeah. Murder cases never seem as clear as they should. Every, right. Things don't always add up. There's problems, issues, whatever, and this seems too orchestrated by yeah, yeah. something beyond but you know even her who feels like something is off can't put that together that maybe amy is alive somewhere because that is the furthest thing from anybody's mind it seems <laughs> way too crazy right. <laughs> you gotta start thinking way outside the box to get there yeah only amy is thinking it you yeah know, who's operating that, on that level in that headspace so elvis is in missouri tanner bolt shows up Go and Nick try to get him up to speed. They explain the treasure hunt, which is a tour of Nick's infidelity, basically to rub his nose in it. Kind of funny moment here when Nick is revealing that all of the places on the treasure hunt were places that him and Andy would go to fuck. And uh, Go is like, well, what about a hotel room? Oh, I know. And he's like, well, Amy would see the statements. And she says, well, what about Andy's credit card? And he says, her statements go to her parents. And Go (laughs) is just like, ooh. Yeah. (laughs) That is good. But it is like, I mean, I guess Amy was kind of doing a little bit of spying. I think the impression is once she found out, she was all over it. Wow, yeah. She knew everything. Right. (laughs) Would you put anything past her? No, no. Yeah, she's an expert. (laughs) Uh, I wouldn't be shocked to find out that Andy was just somebody that Amy hired to do this. No, true. To see. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, at this point, Amy's such a supervillain, it's like nothing's out of the realm of possibility. <laughs> right. But according to Tanner, Andy is a ticking time bomb. 
and he wants Nick to come clean to the cops. Get out in front of it. Yeah, because he's like, I've seen this before. They always come forward. Don't take it personally. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He also wants to tell the cops about Go's woodshed, but warns that they will come for her too, which I guess, and we kind of find out, that's something that Nick definitely wants to avoid. Oh, yeah. That's like a real thing for him. Which, I mean, right off the bat, though, he is like, oh, yeah, I believe she's alive out there, so I'm hiring my two best guys to track her down, which is brought up a couple times, but it is like, how the fuck would these guys find her? <laughs> I know. It's kind of almost a recurring joke. She could be anywhere. Tanner's just always like putting his two fingers up like he's fucking Gary Busey in Point Break. He's Get just like, too. my two guys. I got my two best guys on it. It's like, <laughs> two okay. former Secret two Service guys. Two guys we never see. Right. We don't have any idea what they're and doing. And it's like, I don't care how good of whatever they are. How the hell would they find her? I mean, she has she's set it up perfectly to be like basically untraceable to where she's going, right? And they don't find her, right? <laughs> In the Ozarks, once again, Amy as Nancy is playing mini golf with Greta and this other dude Jeff, played by Boyd Holbrook. You kind of get the sense that Amy didn't know Jeff would be coming along. Oh yeah. You also kind of feel like maybe Amy is now, in this moment, just realizing that maybe she shouldn't have confided so much in Greta. Yeah. Greta may be a little unreliable. She got a little too used to that life she was living with the neighbor before. But the big moment here is when Amy jumps up to celebrate sinking a shot, and she drops her previously concealed wad of cash, and needless to say, this gets Greta and Jeff's attention. Get some wide eyes. So now at this point in the movie, July 11th, six days gone, which is not a lot compared to where it gets to, but a full-blown media circus outside Nick and Amy's house. Nick is going to appear on Sharon Sheber's show to admit to the truth about Andy and seek forgiveness. Sharon, played by Celia Ward, is seemingly like a more reasoned, less prejudicial version of Ellen Abbott. Yeah. And they, maybe more like a Katie Couric. Nick, Tanner, and Go are hoping to have Sharon on their side in this media war that right. has developed. <laughs> yes. They see her as like a possible ally, I guess, because she hasn't fully gone against him in I don't know. whatever's it's, brewing It's just out nuts. There. I mean, I believe that this is part of how it works, I guess, but it's just kind of nuts to think about. Yeah, it is nuts because, you know, obviously people really get murdered, and you would like to think that it's just about the facts and that, the police but can do their job, and that's clearly it, it is not. Yeah, it turns into this circus. When Tanner mentions something to Nick about reaching ten million viewers, Nick has the realization that, quote, maybe I only need to reach one, and so this right. is the game of it all. That, that I know, and this is the about. big part of like, wow, now he's actively participating in this game and like now doing things at her, right. Yeah, because I guess once he feels confident in knowing that she's still alive, it's becoming this thing between the two of them. And this is the part where I feel like he does have a little bit of a sociopath in him. The fact that, like, this news breaks right before and they're not supposed to go on, but he's, like, so committed. Like, he's come up with this plan to basically now manipulate her. It just seems nuts. Now he's operating on this level that, like, I could never... I wouldn't even know how to pull something like this off. Yeah, and I agree. I also think that maybe he's realizing that the easiest way to solve this problem is, is to get like, her to stop doing this. Right. That's because true. if she stays hidden, 
people will just assume that she's dead and yeah. there's no other suspects at this point. But it is crazy because it's like he does this thing and it's this great performance, but he's like completely faking it. Well, he knows what she wants to hear. Right. <laughs> so Amy is going to bail from her Ozarks hideout because she senses Greta and Jeff might be a problem, but it's too late. They take her money and obviously Amy can't go to the police because she's Amy. Right. <laughs> I think that Gillian Flynn wants us to know that this was Greta's idea and that Jeff is just the muscle because there's that moment where Amy is just like, did he put you up to this? And Greta's just like, no, I put him up to it. Right. Yeah. Like, why is that in here? And I think it's like, she wants us to know that Greta is the worst of the two. And this whole thing, this whole movie is basically a seminar on how women can be villains too. Oh yeah. It's like a constant reminder. It's like, no, Greta is the evil one. Amy is evil. <laughs> like everybody's right, evil. Right. And then like the idea, you say something like that, women can be villains too, but the idea that that is a good thing <laughs> from a storytelling perspective. Yeah. In a weird way, if you're talking about men and women being equal, then it, they're equal in the good and the bad. And, yeah, yeah. And Flynn's work seems to be reminding us of that because I think a lot of times the bad part of it is ignored. Yeah. But now Amy's plan is fucked she's got no money and nowhere to go and she's here's getting like kicked out of hotel parking lots well here's the part that confirms to me <laughs> what i was saying she could just kill herself now obviously true but it's clear that she was never really going to do that well i think so her ego yeah. is far too big and she was right. having too much fun yeah she wanted to prove what a genius she was she was telling herself that killing that you know that suicide was going to be part of it but it never really was no no she just wanted to see if she could pull this off, and then she did. So now it's time to fall back on the one card that she always had in her back pocket. There is a noticeable step up here in the film score. It's like this dreadful heartbeat that just starts kind of pulsing throughout it. Yeah, yeah. And it does. Well, the anxiety is kind of stepped up, certainly. Yeah, and it drowns out what she's saying because we see her on a payphone at a gas station or a truck stop or something like that. And the score is drowning her out, so we don't know who she's talking to or what she's saying. But we know that something big is happening because <laughs> she's revealing herself yeah. to somebody. Meanwhile, Nick is preparing to appear on Sharon's show, rehearsing what to say and what not to say, selecting specific items like a tie and a watch that Amy bought him to wear. But then, all of a sudden, Andy calls a press conference to admit to her affair with Nick, which throws oh the boy. whole yeah. appearance on Sharon's show in doubt. Amy's parents, who are who to this point had remained pretty much on Nick's side during this crisis, are there with Andy and turn on Nick completely. Which is so bizarre. This part is it's so bizarre funny that, and that weird. They, that this would happen simultaneously. <laughs> that she's having her press conference and... Her parent and Amy's parents are there. How are did they, this all come I together? I know, right. Yeah, who organized this? Watching this press conference with Andy at a casino is Amy, and we get the reveal of who she called, and it's Desi Collings, which I guess isn't too much of a surprise, right, because yeah. who else could it be? But Amy's bitterness while watching Andy is hilarious. She's like the girl with the giant come-on-me tits. Oh, yeah, and now is dressed like a pilgrim or something. A Mennonite. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> Why is she dressed like a babysitter? She's like so mad. Right. <laughs> The viewer can see almost immediately that Amy has Desi wrapped around her fingers so tightly that he can hardly breathe, but he loves it. Absolutely. <laughs> this yeah, is like a dream come it. true for him. Oh, yeah. 
for me, I mean, the, if I'm taking anything from this movie and applying it to real life, it's beware the call from your past. <laughs> Don't get involved with whatever oh, yeah. this is. Oh, yeah, it can't be good. It's never going to be good. Just <laughs> be like, you know, leave the past where it is. <laughs> yeah, especially if they're looking for a place to stay. <laughs> yeah, if that's on the table, just forget it. Desi takes Amy to his lake house, which is an insane place. Yeah, his lake house greater than any house I've ever been to. Oh, yeah, by a million percent, really. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. And one noteworthy thing to take away is the outdoor security cameras that kind of... Factor in. Yeah, go all over the property, and they kind of come up later. Nick decides to go forward with the appearance on Sharon's show, even though at first Tanner and Go both don't really want him to. He's like, no, I got this. Yeah, he's ready to play a game with yeah, Amy. He's he doesn't got his care card. about he's... America right. anymore. Yeah. This is something he's doing with amy we don't see the actual interview yet because it's being taped but we just see the aftermath go and tanner are in agreement that it went well and tanner says something like it's gonna take a lot because andy was really good tv and nick just says she's a really good person (laughs) (laughs) still in on andy yeah i mean even after the betrayal hilarious (laughs) so what do we think is happening between desi and and uh amy is that just uh domestic bliss at this point it doesn't seem very blissful it's a strange arrangement they have their memory lane definitely loaded with landmines obviously yeah there's a lot i mean he is very controlling and also has this sort of uh like vision of her and how she should be and right now she's kind of not really fitting that and he's really trying to push getting back to that yeah that's something that i know i wrote that down somewhere he is really hung up on her appearance and wanting her hair to look like it did. And he even mentions like his gym and yeah, stuff. Yeah, right. It's very strange, like how he's acting. She hasn't been keeping to a very strict diet since the whole <laughs> faking of her death. He's like, "Geez, Amy, I'm really thrilled to have you back, but could we, you know, tighten, <laughs> tighten this it up, up a little or bit? What? Jeez. <laughs> it's it's strange that that's like a part of this. So the Sharon Sheber appearance airs, and Amy is riveted nick is saying all of the things that she wants to hear this game is playing out she's now realizing that nick has found the last clue nick knows that she's alive they're playing this game over the tv basically they've got (laughs) all their little codes he's doing that thing where he covers his chin which he did on their first i know she's alive or yeah she is alive Desi watching Amy watching Nick is unbelievable. It's so great. <laughs> Filling up his bottle of wine. You can sense Amy buying into the Nick she sees on TV. But while this is airing, cops show up with a warrant. They find the woodshed goodies and they take go in. And like I said, this is a weak spot for Nick. So he gets all fired up and Tanner is unable to reel him in. Boney reveals the diary. They kind of go through some parts, play truth or dare. I do like that Nick points out the convenient end note of, I think this man may kill me. Yeah. (laughs) Which seems like kind of a glaring mistake on Amy's part. It's it's too perfect. Well, it is weird at this point that Nick full-on has the knowledge that she's alive. And he's having these conversations. Obviously, he's not going to play his whole hand here now because... Well, how would he prove that she's still alive? Right. I know, but it's just sort of weird (laughs) going into this conversation with the police and having this knowledge. Boney reveals also that they found 
Judy's handle from the Punch and Judy puppets as the murder weapon in the fireplace way back when they have initially searched the house, but they didn't really know what it was and where it came from. Now that they have the present from the woodshed, they know where it came from because it was Judy's handle. Nick gets arrested, and now it's like, again, we're, I don't know, two hours into this two-and-a-half-hour movie. Yeah. Where did you think this was going from here once he gets arrested? I have no idea. Did you have any idea what was about to happen? No. I I knew that it wasn't going to last with Desi. You know, right. Like, like that was a recipe for disaster. Something was going to come to a head there, and I knew that I had a strong feeling that it was going to be revealed that she was alive. Sometimes whenever I see, like, a really engrossing movie, I don't allow myself to try to guess. So it's like I honestly had no idea, and I was just really in the moment. Yeah, I, experiencing I definitely this. did not know what was going to happen, and I certainly didn't know how it all was going to end for Desi, but... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think rationally, if I would have stepped, if like if you would have stopped the projector and forced me to think about it, I mean, I might have come up with not everything, but some of it, just out of like, well, what is logical? What could potentially still happen? Where could this go? But Plus, I wasn't thinking I, like that for sure. I don't know. I really always felt the female detective character was gonna figure this out some way or another. The way that she's introduced and the way that she kind of carries herself throughout the movie, it's like she's understanding things on a level that society isn't. Yeah, but I mean, in a way, it's better that she doesn't figure it out because it would have been so unrealistic. Well, true, yeah, for sure. Because it's so crazy. Right. (laughs) Nobody's ever done anything like this, ever. I mean, it's so elaborate. Yeah. (laughs) Like I said, the last half hour of this movie is bonkers yeah for and sure I, I don't throw that word around lightly no that's bonkers. true you don't yeah <laughs> we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit we're now at 21 days gone amy is once again looking like her old self as you pointed looking out foxy is desi is really AF. hung up on this right he buys her hair dye and like clothes and wants her to work out and all this. it's very strange yeah Wearing kind of little sexy numbers around the house. Right. And presumably the two of them have cohabitated in some sort of weird pseudo-marital bliss. But, I mean, all the while, I guess, to quote Ario Speedwagon, she's been laying still in the grass, all coiled up and hissing. <laughs> I mean, For sure. ever since she saw the Sharon Sheaver special, she's had, a she's had new this plan, plan right. coming together, I guess. But she's been playing along... I don't know if they've been having sex. Unclear. It's hard to say. Yeah. It's hard to say if he's fully living there because I think he mentions at one point that he will move in there. But right. I don't know. A lot is left up to interpretation. I'm assuming you know some of these details might be flushed out in the book, which I am probably on reading okay. soon. Yeah. Amy's going to put those security cameras to good use. Kind of ingenious, really. First... One morning as Desi's leaving, I think this is on the 21 Days Gone, Amy fucks up his shirt and hair and playfully bites him a little so he's bleeding from the mouth. <laughs> All of this done is If being, that happened, I'd be like, what the hell? I gotta get this girl out of here. <laughs> I mean, weird. she's doing all of this as being like sexually flirtatious, but when St- Desi steps outside into the line of sight of one of the cameras, he's fixing his shirt and dabbing blood from his mouth. And oh, right, yeah. It doesn't look great. In certain contexts. Right, like if right. If you change what the context is, it's like, what is he doing? 
Next, she puts grape juice on her crotch and crawls to a window, bangs on it, and screams. Yeah, I don't even know that I know all the things that she's trying to even suggest, <laughs> but I know it's not good. <laughs> well, I think that's like as if she's been raped and that she's trapped in there. Yeah, yeah. I think the chapter on the Blu-ray was called The Gilded Cage, meaning okay. like it's this great, luxurious mansion, but it's a cage she can't get out right, of. Right, right. So the blood obviously is implying that she was raped, and she's making it look like she fought him off a little bit. That's why he was like fixing yep, himself yep. and bleeding or whatever. And you're just like, uh oh, <laughs> like when <laughs> she does that again. move, like you don't know what she's doing. All of a sudden, she's like rubbing grape juice on her, like, like crawling crotch. across, and then the she's floor. like getting on her hands and knees and going across, like the screaming kitchen. into the window. <laughs> You're just like, oh, boy, because the music, like I said, has picked up its in intensity, and you're just like, oh, no, <laughs> something bad is going to happen. Oh, yeah. Back home, Nick is somehow granted bail, which seems unlikely and a little crazy. I would say, yeah. <laughs> He's going to go home and prep for trial with Tanner and whatever happens. Next thing we know, it comes up on the screen, it's 29 days gone. And so this kind of reveals Amy has a certain amount of patience because yeah, well, she's I gotta let this originally thought she did next the scheme play out. The grape juice thing all on the same day as this next part, but no. Right. It's eight days later. She creates ligature marks on her wrists, and then she kind of does her own rape injuries by taking like a champagne bottle and like jamming it up her pussy kind of weird yeah is real rough yeah and that when, part makes me yeah when you're watching it the first and, yeah. time like in the theater and she starts doing that you're just like what oh the my fuck? i know right <laughs> like where is this going I do love and appreciate the feeling in a movie where nothing seems off limits. Oh, I agree. Where you're yeah. just like, I don't know what the fuck is going to happen next. <laughs> you know what I mean? And right. everything that the characters are doing seems insane. So then she seduces Desi. <laughs> and then it all builds to this. Looking for rough sex. And this is a pretty intense sex scene with Neil Patrick Harris here. I would agree. I mean, she's yeah. like kind of blowing him. She's got like his she's hand going right up for in his crack. Yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, he's getting on top of her, and it's like, I don't know. It's yeah, like, it seemed like he had a very happy kind of demise. Yeah, definitely like a scared boner for me. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's a fairly hot sex scene, but, you know, you yeah. kind of know where this is going. Right. She reaches under the pillow, gets a box cutter. I love... Oh, I hate a throat slip. The part where she, right before she does it, and then right when she does it, her eyes are fucking crazy <laughs> just animalistic Her eyes are so big and they never look like that the rest of the movie it's such a scary face she's making right it's like completely devoid of humanity <laughs> <laughs> it's something that like i didn't even really pick up on like the first couple times i've watched this movie and it's only been like the last few times where i really am paying attention to her face here because you're kind of just like blown away by everything that's happening you're like holy shit there's this a knife has gone she to a whole new level slit his throat this horrible blood is She's coming like, out uh like pulls him in tighter while he's bleeding and just he's just like gushing blood yeah, from his she, neck all over yeah she just it is brutal a just a geyser massacre. of blood and she wraps around him like a anaconda right. or something so he can't do anything while he's bleeding out blood everywhere the way that they're shooting this is like almost blinking like a blinking light oh yeah you know, like a like, strobe yeah, it's very strange. And then the score, of course, super intense. This is like the moment that this movie 
was building to all this time. This was like the big David Fincher moment oh, of yeah. the movie. So intense, so awesome, shocking. <laughs> but, so the next morning, we get Amy's triumphant return, bathed in blood, only in a negligee. And oh, it's a yeah. really surreal moment it for really the press is. to capture. Yeah. <laughs> They're just all sitting outside Nick and Amy's house. And then and here like, comes Amy, covered in blood. Wait, what the hell? <laughs> She's not dead? Imagine that this was like a big news story that was being covered and everyone was following across the country. And then all of a sudden, this happens. And just it would like be the a, most insane such thing ever. a great interaction between our two characters here <laughs> yeah she falls into nick's arms and he just says you fucking bitch and like dips her though for like the camera well she falls <laughs> well yeah like, right. well, she does that yeah she's being dramatic obviously there are holes in amy's story but she seems to be playing the fbi investigators like a fiddle i mean well, she's one of got my her misdirection moments in the whole movie just because i think it's like so kind of funny but also like fits like everyone's kind of puzzled reaction to all this with just the detective saying to Nick, who's been like this suspect, the guy that she like arrested for this. She just turns to him and is like, what do you think? (laughs) And he goes, kidnapping. Come on. It's insane. (laughs) Story's insane. Right. Again, Boney is the only one who suspects anything is off, but she's kind of lost control because she went for Nick because that's what she was supposed to do, really. That's what all the evidence suggested. She made <laughs> that's what the, the arrest. other cops wanted her to do. And she was wrong. And so now the FBI's come in, and she's kind of lost any power and control in the situation. And Amy's playing these guys who are mostly men, like a fiddle. Because she's anytime she that Boney is kind of asking a difficult question, she's steering it to something uncomfortable. <laughs> these guys like look back at her like, come on. Like Nobody wants to hear her say, like, I would still be tied to a bed spread eagle <laughs> like she gets like, like all right let's graphic. wrap it up yeah and she kind of has this power of a survivor and obviously there's a certain amount of group think denial going on nobody wants to be no rational guy is gonna sit there and try to connect all this of these didn't dots. happen <laughs> now granted this again is another moment that certain critics of this film have kind of pointed out because it's a fairy tale of a group of men instantly believing a woman's story of being abducted and raped. But my pushback to that is obviously this situation is a little different than just your typical story, which believe me, I get it. Like I get that, you know, women have difficulty coming forward and a lot of times they're not believed. I don't think that's really the point here though. The person that she's claiming did this is dead. Right. She was missing for weeks, comes back covered in blood. I don't think that any rational person is coming up with that. She put all of this together no, to no. frame her husband right. for yeah. murder. And, you know, it's just it's too insane to make that connection. I don't think anybody's taking that leap, really. No, that would be crazy. Except, you know, obviously, Boney is the only one who kind of knows the truth. But it's kind of just an interesting gender dynamic though because most not all but most of the fbi people are men and then it's the one woman who's speaking actually like asking her real questions yeah who's trying to like again let's go back to the punch and judy puppets one more time yeah where where, how did what was he get this weapon and you know (laughs) she's trying to piece it together amy is kind of knowing the right things to say to just get through it because i think she knows potentially knows that 
Boney doesn't really matter now that the FBI is involved because right. she's, she already made a mistake and everyone's going to hold that against her for being wrong. Because somehow, even though Boney was the only person for the longest time that was holding out on blaming Nick, she's going to now shoulder oh, yeah. the responsibility for getting it wrong about Nick, even though everyone assumed it was right, him right. and it took her to finally you know, join that group. By the way, Andy completely out of the picture now. I was actually thinking when I was putting these notes down, I was like, I'm kind of worried for Andy's safety a little bit. Yeah, after you would all think. The dust yeah, settles. come on. Funny exchange between, you pointed out the one between Nick and Boney, but Nick and Gilpin, when Amy is talking to all of the investigators, <laughs> Nick just says to him, how'd she manage to get a hold of a box cutter if you had her tied up the whole time? <laughs> Gilpin's just like, can't you just be happy your wife's home? <laughs> Gilpin's not a great critical. No, thinker. no, not a, not a great cop. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right. So Nick and Amy go home together. She tells him that she wants the Nick she saw on TV, the Nick she fell in love with. <laughs> He's just like, I was faking it <laughs> just to prove that you were alive. Yeah, I mean, he's he psycho insisting that he's going to leave. But ultimately, I mean, maybe this is just seeing the movie so many times, but ultimately it doesn't really feel believable ever that <laughs> he's going like to leave. This like the spark that kind of got him back into it. It's kind of like the same reason he didn't take the third note or the note with the Punch and Judy puppets to the police. It's just like, it's too late. It's like, now what is he going to do? The fear of public appearance is too much. It's like, well, now it's like we have to be together because this is what everyone believes. <laughs> right. It's like, there's nothing I can do now. <laughs> We get a shot of uh, Affleck's hog, which is wild. Nice. Exciting for everyone. <laughs> she makes him like take his clothes off and get into the shower before she'll like, talk about <laughs> To make about sure he's not this. wearing a wire. <laughs> which I pointed out, if he was wearing a wire and they had her on tape saying, I don't want you to be wearing a wire, I think then they'd be like, all right, we definitely have to investigate Something some more Something is now. suspect here. Yeah, Because <laughs> to this point, nobody's investigating anything. No. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you particularly like the part where he asks her, was there ever a baby? And she just says, there can be, and pats the bed. <laughs> I do love that part. <laughs> she makes like a great face. Yeah, their interactions now once she's home are hilarious. Yeah. Like everything they like, do is now so Now living with this, and that's the thing, like everyone can think what they want, but he knows what she did planning this all out. But then he also knows that she murdered someone. Right. So it's like that's on the table. Yeah, now he knows she's capable of anything. Right. <laughs> They sleep in separate rooms. He's like locking the door. He locks the door. Most of the media is now leaving. The world is expecting them to return to normality, but he, of course, knows the truth about the monster he's living with. There's a fun scene where Boney meets up with Nick, Go, and Tanner to discuss Amy and realize... Because they're all kind of in this circle of people who know the truth and are like, what the hell? Yeah, and Tanner is just like, well... There's nothing else to be done. I'm leaving. Yeah. And he leaves, and Boney is just like, well, they gave the case to the feds because we fucked up, and there's nothing I can do. So basically, they know that she killed somebody. They know that this was all some sort of a crazy plan to set Nick up for a murder that went awry at some point. I don't know if Amy ever explains all of the details to Nick why Desi ended up getting involved because. You know, he wasn't going to originally be part of this plan. Right, right. I don't know. Who knows? But <laughs> Nick may have stopped asking questions at a certain point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's only so much. But ultimately, Nick is kind of in a situation where 
he knows the truth, but he doesn't really know what to do. But it is like a fun conversation to have with like Margot, his sister, who's like was literally gonna put her life savings on the line to like. Well, she probably still had to pay. Well, yeah. I don't know what happened. I, there. I don't know, but then it's like she's having to have a conversation with Nick, where she's like, "Wait, you're gonna stay with her?" Well, the idea, though, as Tanner points out, I think like there is a book deal and there's potentially some like they're gonna franchise the bar. the bar because of this, you know, new publicity that they got from this. Well, case one point when it's and I never really paid attention to it before because I guess it's a subtle thing. Nick's just driving by the bar when all this stuff starts going on and like the line is out the door. Yeah, and, and people were taking selfies. Right, in front and of like it before and that, it was like a struggling, you know, establishment. Right. So we jumped to seven weeks home. And Nick is still trying to figure out how to expose Amy. But it's like, why can't he just accept what we as viewers have already accepted? We, I mean, I think at this point, well, I Well, it's knew. like, you might as well just be in, man. Yeah, it's like, embrace it. <laughs> Amy is kind of robotic, cold, and vacant. And yet, I like her more Super now. hot. Yeah, <laughs> I like her even more now. Now that it's like, I'm like, yeah, this is a chick that is down for anything. <laughs> Ellen Abbott comes to their house for an interview this is kind of funny and awkward it's like she was saying all this stuff about nick and nick is just saying it to her now like you said that i had carnal relations with my sister right (laughs) and ellen is kind of just you know deflecting or whatever she's probably used to it but right before the actual interview amy reveals that she's now pregnant and they kind of have like their final fight which which does make you be like what's been going on wait is it that she still had that sample or whatever. Yeah, is that what he it is? thought yeah. that she let the sample be destroyed at the clinic, but she didn't, and she's pregnant now. Okay, so she had kind of like an ace up her sleeve that he never right. thought she always has one card oh, yeah. up her sleeve. And as you mentioned, there is some physicality here where he kind of slams, which her head is up it the does wall. like catch you off guard a little bit. Yeah, like the first time we saw this, I was like, whoa, that was like a almost a sobering moment for me. In a way, though, and I'm not minimizing this kind of domestic violence or anything like that, but in a way, this feels desperate and like a last gasp. Well, yeah, because you know it's mean? like he's living in this prison now. Unless he wants to resort to murdering her. I mean, there's nothing. He yeah. can't really do it. She has now. the upper hand. Yeah. Yeah. She has the higher ground. Right. <laughs> a couple of cunt bombs here. Kind of fun. Always fun. Go reacting to the news that he's basically going to stay with her now because I of mean, this she's kid. Just like what? It's so I always I do feel like it's a little over the top. She's like openly weeping. And well, sobbing. I'm telling. I mean, there. I do think uh, Ellen Abbott was on to something here. <laughs> yeah, she did talk about his penis earlier in the movie. Right and now, she's crying. That yeah, she's- that she's losing him again. She just got her brother back. <laughs> <laughs> and the movie ends with the same bits of dialogue or the same lines that it opened with nick's voiceover saying wanting to crack his wife's skull open yeah he's like what are you thinking how are you feeling what have we done to each other what will we do and then credits and you're just like oh (laughs) that's the end because yeah yeah, i mean you're two and a half hours in but you're still kind of caught off guard that that's the end of the movie you're just like oh wow okay (laughs) they're just together and she's gonna have this baby yeah Every couple, you know, every relationship has its trials and tribulations. <laughs> and you know? some are crazier than right. others, I guess. <laughs> There's peaks and valleys. Both of us had this as our number one for the year, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. 
you know, it's just a fun fantasy of yeah. something crazy. This It's so over the top that you know that nothing like this could ever really happen. I don't know. I found it to be a super enjoyable movie. <laughs> yeah. And ultimately, I think it's subtle, but as we talked about, it's like, well, Amy is definitely a supervillain, but Nick is a bad guy, too. Oh, certainly. It's yeah. shitty people doing shitty things to each other. Which is most of life, really. And he's a coward. I mean, he yeah, doesn't absolutely. do anything to say, oh, she killed Desi Collins in cold blood. He thinks he's a good person because he thinks that he wants to, to reveal her, but he doesn't. He doesn't do anything. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, nobody's a good person at the end right. of this. <laughs> See, I think where this is, would all be headed, though, is like a couple years down the line, he's like, you know what? Maybe I should give that Andy a call. <laughs> he starts thinking again. Well, I know that you weren't super keen on it when I brought it up before, but I mean... Gillian Flynn has kind of talked about the possibility of a sequel sometime down the line. I mean, I doubt it would ever happen, but this movie was wildly successful box office-wise. The characters are still alive. I mean, there's always a possibility of continuing the story in yeah. some way. I don't know where it would go. I like where it's at. I, I mean, if there was another movie, I guess that's the idea. There would be a sequel movie, not a sequel book. I don't know. Yeah. Either way, whatever. I mean, you know, if it came out, I'd go see it. But I'm fine with where it's at. Yeah, it's not something that, like, begs out for a sequel or anything. But, yeah, I mean, if It's if hard to right imagine it being involved, as good, for sure. And I think the issue is, would David Fincher be involved? And it seems unlikely. But so. can you even, like, effectively have... I mean, it, w it would be hard to pull off the twists again. You would have to just come up with something insane but completely different right to keep people on their toes i don't know but all right well this is gonna be our longest now, episode yeah, for I, sure can we say that for sure at this point <laughs> it seems like we throw that out i there think sometimes. the secret reveal is that we've been trying to get something to be our longest and it, this we've is been falling an short epic yeah. yeah holy cow so thanks for hanging in as I mentioned, hopefully we'll get like a, a give us a second following up on the Gillian Flynn week as if right, this yeah. massive episode wasn't enough. <laughs> That's well, we're here to give content. Well, you know, there's a lot of exciting things to watch and we get excited. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, thank you for listening. Follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Yep. Subscribe More good stuff coming, I'm sure, right? Yeah, we got the big October coming up. Absolutely. Yes. And, uh, we'll see you next time.
But there's one scene with uh, opposite Neil Patrick Harris. Oh, yes. No, no, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Have, have, I don't know how many of you have seen, yeah. have seen but we, we <laughs> But it's a pretty so, intense scene, but... Neil and I have a kind of, it's, well, for people who haven't seen the film, we, we have, I mean, I would call it physical. It's a, it's a physical scene, it's a, it's a technically challenging scene, and, and, yes. and obviously David Fincher had us rehearse it quite intensively. Yeah. Um, how, would you, how would you go about rehearsing that or practice? Well, you know, I mean, Neil and I were kind of left alone on the soundstage for a considerable amount of time, but David sort of really would have had us doing it all day and all night. And I, you know, you, you get into the Fincher mindset and you think, maybe I haven't done enough rehearsal. No, and so, no. yeah. You so, know, I, I went home and, and I thought, well, I could ask my husband to kind of do this with me. <laughs> and I was like, no, I think that would be weird. Yeah. So I, um, I went down to CVS. I was driving home from, C from, from set one night and, and I went into CVS and I found this... I found this, this Dora the Explorer um, felt doll, right? But she was only kind of this big, right? And I thought, well, I could kind of use that. Um, but she wasn't tall enough. She had to kind of be as tall as Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I gaffer taped her to a, to a post, right? And then I practiced the scene at home by the swimming pool. Outside? Um, outside. And, yeah. and, and I, we rent a house in the hills, which is one of those houses which is, feels really private. Yeah. But in fact, is overlooked by a lot of other houses. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You so, think it's private, so, yeah. So if anyone's actually looking out of their house in that morning, they would have seen me doing highly inappropriate things to this Dora the Explorer doll. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> you are crazy. Is, you are. Yeah. Well, I know. And I was like, this isn't even. You can't even. This isn't even cool. This isn't even like method acting. This is just like. <laughs> it's a woman attacking a, a Dora the Explorer insane. doll in her backyard. <laughs> You're a crazy person. Yeah, um, I love it. Well, yeah, it worked. It's a bit Fincher does that to you, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it worked, obviously, because you got uh, an Oscar nomination for this role and you totally deserve it. It was fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank you.